I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live right here on YouTube. It is your Week 7 NFL Preview Show. Hi, Sam. What's up, Steve? I'm just ready to go. Fired up for some Week 7 action. And I appreciate what the listeners have done the last couple days. We asked them because of a potential award Mm. that we could all win together as the PFF NFL Podcast. We need to find some old clips. Your favorite old clips. And I'm actually shocked that people had them ready to go. They remembered episodes and dates, and they sent clips in for us. People found the original Exploding Whale They did. Clip. So that is much appreciated. There's some other good ones in there. If you have a favorite clip, be sure to email it in, nflpodcast at pff.com, and uh, let us know. Mm-hmm. Anything it's, under it's five minutes. to remember. Anything under five minutes is good to go. And I think the, these podcasts are more audio-centric, so anything that requires like visual aids is probably not a great one. But anything that sounds funny or good or awesome, uh, I think we still have one spot that, I'm, uh, that it's up for grabs. Two yeah. of them I think were good. Go one more. One more good one. Yeah. yeah so be sure to uh, send that in. We appreciate everybody taking the time to do that. All right, man. You ready to go? Mm-hmm. Get into all the games. Let's start with. We start with Thursday night football, right? Not the Discord game of the week. Always start with Thursday, right? And then into the Discord game of the week. Uh, Thursday night football tonight. It is the Jacksonville Jaguars against the New Orleans Saints. Saints favored by two, uh, in part, I believe, because we got it by one here on uh, DraftKings. I think the I don't know if it's at two or one at the moment. It's at two live right now. Green Line has it at two, yeah. Green Line has it at two. The Jags are saying it's a game-time decision for Trevor Lawrence. Remember, his last play, I believe it was on Sunday, gets the knee twisted up, and he's going to be a – there was not a massive concern in Jacksonville coming out of that game, but it is the short week. Yep. And so we got a game-time decision for Trevor Lawrence. The backup is C.J. Beathard. And they also signed preseason and Canadian football legend Nathan Rourke. Legend. Yeah. Owner of two of the most spectacular preseason plays of all time. In one preseason. Like in a matter of three weeks. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. So what are we looking for in this game? Saints are 3-3. Three and three. Jags 4-2 and two leading the AFC South. Yeah, I assume Trevor Lawrence is going to play. Um, he was talking optimistically, but like, you know, we got to wait till Thursday for the game time decision. So I'm, I'm kind of assuming he's going to go. Um, you know, Jacksonville's defense, both defense actually, are probably the stories as much as we're focusing on Trevor Lawrence and his injury. And that's clearly the most important uh, unknown heading into this game. Both defenses have been really impressive. The, the Saints DBs in particular, and this is like a multi-year thing, those guys – contest the catch better than anybody else in the NFL as a unit collectively they are just physical aggressive they're gonna stray over the line sometimes uh, but they're gonna make the officials call it otherwise they're gonna beat you up as a receiver core and they're doing that this year the defensive line that looked like a real weakness relative to previous years hasn't been that bad actually for the Saints 
So it's a good defense. And then Jacksonville, their defense all season long has been uh, actually doing pretty well. It's the offense that's had times where it's let itself down or struggled. And as you were pointing out to me before we went live, a questionable New Orleans offensive line got even more questionable during the week. And now Trayvon Walker might have another good game. Yeah, Cesar Ruiz, um, he struggled at guard the other day and, you know, the last five years, is going to be playing. That's, that's mean. I don't, don't need to be snarky like that. Cesar Ruiz might be playing right tackle for Ryan, Ryan Ramchak here tonight. Mm. Um, so last week we, had, we mentioned Trayvon Walker's potential uh, breakout game against uh, rookie Blake, Blake Freeland who just, you know, doesn't look like he's got the, the anchor to anchor mm. in pass protection right now. And uh, that was the case. Trayvon Walker, you know, threw him around a little bit, came on. And Walker had his highest pass rush win rate in uh, – I think he had a better one in a game last year, but it was a much smaller sample. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my point is uh, the the offensive line has been an issue for the Saints over the, uh, during the season anyway. Uh, Nick Nick Saldivieri, Saldivieri, the rookie, probably starting at guard here. Ruiz moves out to – right tackle you have max garcia playing left guard trevor penning struggling at left tackle it's not great the jags pass rush they are i think they're kind of just dependent on who they play right they they are capable against lesser offensive lines but they have done a really nice job uh, covering on the back ends their back seven has played extremely well in jacksonville so you're right i think the defenses are the story and the jags defense might have even more opportunities against the makeshift Saints line. Yeah, I think the general exception to that is Josh Allen, who is good. But even Allen is sort of dependent on who he's going up against. Like, if it's not a great offensive tackle, and by that I mean not necessarily a bad one, but if it's just not a great player, he'll probably have a pretty good game. But if he goes up against a truly elite left tackle, he might struggle. Does he have what we used to say about uh, Robert Quinn? Remember Robert Quinn that one year would have seven, eight, nine pressures against you know, bad Bears tackle or whatever, and then he goes up against Joe Staley and he'd have one. Yeah, I don't think he necessarily needs, like, he doesn't need bad players. He just needs the guy not to be Trent Williams. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when he goes up against truly elite players, he's probably going to get shut down. But against anything else, he can have a good day. It is worth pointing out, like the Cesar Ruiz thing, he's been in the league four years now. He's played most of his time at right guard, a few hundred snaps at center. Uh, His grades for his career... 53.8 as a rookie, 57.6, 56.6, and this season he's been on course for a 46.8. He's never graded above average in any facet in any year. Um, And yet they've handed him a big extension, and now they're saying, now you got to go play right tackle because we've got injuries. I mean, you don't know, but there's literally no evidence from his NFL career that says that's going to go well. Yeah, so that's a, that's a challenge there, I think, for the Saints. In addition to, I think, everything I was saying in the recap show for the Saint, in the Saints-Texans game on Monday, the offense just is off. Red zone issues. Carr has the third worst passing grade in the red zone. And so many plays where Carr is either just not seeing it or the timing is not there between QB and receiver. Uh, there, are, and there are a lot of big plays. We know Rashid Shaheed and Chris Olave have created – big plays but that offense has stalled out once they get into the scoring zone red area green area and the whole deal saints have to figure that out offensively and i think this might be a a tough night to do that against a pretty good jaguars defense here Mm -hmm. um do do we have any wit and without bets here have have uh, you been keeping track of those i've just been assuming that you're like honoring you know 
The Browns one didn't matter the other day. We had a wit and wit out. Right. Watson and PJ Walker, Watson because we were—I think we recorded just before Watson was officially declared out last week. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter because the Browns covered, so we both lost. No mm-hmm. matter because we were going to change the spread. We were going to, you know. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I'm chaos. keeping track. Okay, we're keeping track. All right. Um, but yeah, I think if look, I think I, I think Lawrence and the Jags' offense are going to be challenged here by the Saints. Um, I like the Jags, but maybe the short week and the, the Lawrence injuries got me um, leaning. Yeah, well, I will take Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. Without, I'll take New Orleans. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Give me, give me Lawrence with. The thing about the Saints, you know, there's always a few teams around the league. It's often the Jags who are just annoying to pick. Because <laughs> week to week, you just don't know what you're going to get. Like the Saints are two weeks ago, they, I know the Patriots aren't good, but they beat the Patriots 34 to nothing. Hmm. Right, and then last week they lose to the Texans, and they couldn't figure out how to score the right. entire second half, missing field goals and the whole thing too. Uh, the Saints are ca- the Saints are capable; they're a capable team. I just don't know when they're going to show up and be capable. Are they, so, uh, are they I'll a, take the Jags. Are they a home road team? Have you looked at their splits? They feel like the kind of team that would be like amazing they're, at home and terrible on the road. Well, they they dominated the Titans at home in Week One defensively. It's a close game. Yeah, and they lost though. their second home game, which was against someone else. <laughs> nice, nice analysis. Who did they lose to at home? Uh, who did they lose to at home? Tampa Bay. That's right. They they kind of laid an egg against Tampa Bay, a team and that they that's that's I think what's made the Saints most confusing. So they only had two ro- two home games, and yeah, we, and lost one of them. Yeah, I might lean Saints here. Actually, Dome's going to be bumping on a Thursday night. Give me the Saints, regardless. Mm-hmm. Give me the Saints. I'm doing it. Look how easy it is this way. You just start talking about home road splits, even when they're not even good. No, I was feeling it deep down. I was feeling it. There was a great clip the other day on our show when we were doing Giants Bills. And I was like, look, Green Line's got the uh, slight lean for the Giants. I'll take the Bills. Mm. What an idiot. Yeah. Should have listened to Green Line over at pff.com. Yeah. Even, I mean, even Green Line, it was like a slight edge towards the Giants as opposed to somehow the Giants is going to shut down Buffalo. Green, green Line knew. <coughs> Green Line had that going to the last play with the Bills getting away with a holding call to hold on to win, but the Giants covered. Mm. That's what Green Line predicted. Can't mess with uh, PFF Green Line. As a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. Go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting health questions. Before we move on to the Discord game of the week, uh, Dave Selfaro gave me a great stat. Got to give him a shout out. Mm -hmm. Travis Etienne, leading the league in missed tackles forced. And if Trevor's got the knee injury... ETN's broken off some big plays the last couple weeks. Might be relying on some run game both ways here. Um, but Discord game of the week coming up. That's going to be what, Lions-Ravens? 
Yeah. I mean, that's my game of the week. With mm-hmm. the, there's two awesome games, I think. That one and then Dolphins-Eagles. We'll hit those two first. Um, really quick, have you seen some of the trends, uh, people discussing some of the trends around the NFL this year? Um, the, the late Dr. Eager was talking about success rate being high, but EPA being low. Okay. In other words, teams are having successful plays, four or five yard gains, but not explosive plays. There's a big, like a big gap between what that has been historically. Um, red zone proficiency down, touch, touchdowns down, mm-hmm. uh, longer drives up. Uh, any thoughts on that? Because you feel it, right? So when I bring up the Saints are struggling in the red zone, I'm, I'm feeling that when I'm watching the Saints, but you're, you're, sense, you're getting that from other teams as well across the league. I, I mean, I think we've been getting this feeling from the start of the season outside of Miami defenses are actually winning a bit like yeah. defenses have fought back and they're actually causing problems for offenses in a way they haven't really for a number of years at this point and you've got Miami completely on a different level to everybody else Shanahan kind of right behind um, and generally speaking that tree still doing a pretty good job but even heading into the season you know that that Jordan Rodriguez uh, podcast series the the play callers um where they were talking about how that collection of young head coaches, generally speaking, went and hired guys from the defensive scheme that was causing them problems because that defensive scheme was causing them problems. Like the whole point is that defensive scheme has been fighting back for a couple of years now against these def- these offenses. And the only ones that have actually been able to kind of keep going are the teams that hired a guy to practice against that were, that's running that type of scheme. So whether it's Shanahan, whether it's Mike McDaniel, like every defense or every offense that's still having a huge amount of success basically has hired one of those guys so they understand better how to combat it. But I think that's what we're seeing is we've known for a while now this, this approach to try and take away explosive plays. Like that's been the approach generally league-wide. That is working. Um, this general arms race for the first time in years defense has actually stolen a little step again unless you're facing the dolphins yeah i mean it's probably more of a wednesday show discussion maybe we could pick it up next week it's just interesting to me because you're kind of feeling that i think there's a combination of younger quarterbacks inexperienced quarterbacks a lack of a pure top five to eight elite quarterbacks that you're comfortable with every single year that's tending to fluctuate and underwhelming play from a Joe Burrow like that all that stuff seems to be adding up across the league and even just you know just conceptually when you were heading into the season and you're like everybody is moving towards these two high you're playing a lot of shells like the logical knock-on effect of that is you're going to get fewer explosive plays more you know shorter stuff but but therefore your efficiency is probably going to go up because most offenses these days are good enough to take five yards every single time and keep moving the chain so all of that logically fits in this picture yeah. of what we thought was going to happen heading into the season. If you looked at man coverage versus zone coverage, league-wide stats, zone coverage is high completion percentage, low yards per attempt. Right. That's the world we're living in right now because so fewer teams are playing man. And man is high yards per attempt, lower completion percentage, more explosive plays. I mean, it might just be the way defenses are playing, and that's it. Right, and then the similar, the the next logical step is it gets easier to do that once you're in the red zone and everything gets tightened up and you have less space to cover and blah, blah, blah. So honestly, I think pretty much everything is explained by this trend towards one specific type of defense that is designed to take away 
the explosive plays that have been torching the NFL for so long. And it's working against pretty much everybody except Miami and Kyle Shanahan and, you know, those offenses. Yes, and C.J. Stroud and it's like the entire Shanahan tree is right. still figuring it out. Which, as I say, are the, are the coaches that specifically went out of their way to hire guys that run yeah. that defense to figure out where the weak spots are. That could be its own YouTube video. Not necessarily a part of the preview show, but a good little state of the league here six weeks in. Let's get to the Discord game of the week. It's the Detroit Lions at the Baltimore Ravens. It's at 1 o'clock. What a matchup here. Uh, Ravens favored by three against the Lions. It's another big test for the Lions. I know it's a, an AFC matchup, but they already beat the Chiefs. But it's one of those tests for a team that we think is now a Super Bowl contender sure. in Detroit. Five and one Detroit Lions against four and two Ravens. Yeah, I mean, Baltimore is a pretty good, you know, benchmark type of team for anybody that, that thinks they're for real in a given season. You've got to go out there and try and beat a team like Baltimore. Um, and if you can't, it does raise questions about whether you are really that kind of team. Um, the Ravens are good, like top to bottom. They're always pretty well coached. They're fairly fundamentally sound on both sides of the ball. So I think it is a, a pretty significant test for Detroit. Um, losing David Montgomery is going to be... I mean, obviously they've dealt with him without him before, but that's a blow. Like he, he's the one guy they have that operates between the tackles well, maximizes small amounts of space inside, and turns those like three-yard holes into eight-yard gains and that kind of thing. So I think they lose something by not having Montgomery in the lineup. None of the guys that they have that they're going to give those carries to are really able to do that. Um, on the other hand, you know, if they do what they did before and just kind of give Jameer Gibbs those types of plays. He has the explosive ability to maybe three of them are stuffed, but the next one gets broken for 50 yards in a way. Montgomery generally doesn't have the ability to, even if I think last week he broke off a big run. That might be my concern for Detroit. It's because the Ravens are number two in the NFL EPA per play allowed against the run. Um, That's also actually false. (laughs) Wow. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Fun fact, they were number two in the NFL EPA per play allowed between 06 and 09. Uh-huh. Because somehow we had the wrong filter on. 06 to 09, huh? Yeah. I was looking up some historic stuff yeah. yesterday, doing some stuff, and I clicked on the wrong, uh, the wrong tab here. I'll look up the exact number. But the game flow last week, like, would you be surprised if the game flow is similar to last week where the Lions had very little going on the ground? And it became a Jared Goff game. And, you know, again, I was I was complimenting the Lions on Monday morning saying, that's impressive, right? They couldn't do what they wanted to do, which was, you know, run, run, create explosive plays. They, they, were, they didn't have that balance on offense whatsoever. It became Jared Goff dropped back 45 times, and he picked Tampa Bay apart for the most part. Good decision after good decision, did a really nice job. Goff is the highest-graded quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, but that doesn't always mean, hey, just – you know, chuck it 45 times. That is a difficult thing to do week in, week out. And if uh, the Lions can't get the run game going, that's a lot of pressure on Goff against a, a good Ravens defense here. So that'd be my concern is if they get too much. I can't believe I'm saying that. You know, if you get too far away from the run game mm-hmm. in Detroit, you, you, know, you want to find that balance. Not run-pass ratio, but essentially how much you're putting on Jared Goff's plate. I thought it worked great last week. I don't think... The Lions want him dropping back 45, 50 times every single week, though. No, probably not. Um, Yeah, I think it's fair that you definitely don't get the idea that Jared Goff is one of those quarterbacks that you want to be asking to do that every single week. Um, On the other hand, 
you know, this is a different version of Jared Goff than we've seen any other point in his career. Like literally every single number basically is a new career benchmark for him. Um, and what honestly is most impressive about it or most notable, I think, is not, you know, the high end stuff. I think we've seen a lot of that before in his Rams career. Um, but even the real difference between Jared Goff this year and Jared Goff any other year is mistakes and the lack of them. Uh, he has three turnover-worthy plays so far this year, right? He had 24 last year. And with even in his good years with the Rams, he had a massive amount more than that, right? Like his his career baseline for turnover-worthy play percentage is 3.4%, which includes this year where it's at 1.3. And 1.3 is like it will lead the league every single year if he manages to maintain that. Um, but it isn't just the turnover where he plays, even the like basic mistakes, right? Just the miss, right? I, I missed throw. Here's a little downgrade, minus 0.5. You should have hit that, blah, blah, blah. He hardly has any of those. Like he's yeah. way down. His completion percentage is up. His adjusted completion percentage is up. His accuracy is up. And he's not making mistakes. Now, if he's able to maintain that for an entire year, genuinely, he's MVP. I, straight up, like that's the most valuable quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, having said that, all of those numbers feel a little bit unsustainable and that might mean they come down to earth gradually over the season or it might mean he screams into a wall at some point and throws yeah. like a few really bad mistakes or just has a bad completion percentage day etc cetera, etc cetera. and baltimore is the kind of team where that can happen against but you know they have some matchup advantages i think over that baltimore defense um updated stat here the ravens are fifth in epa per play allowed against the run so it was close. <laughs> this year, 2023. So, yeah, those are great numbers on Goff. And uh, I'm with you. I think um, when you're analyzing and a player is – like that, those are all above Jared Goff's baselines, right? So, like, as you said, on, on one hand, it's impressive. Kudos. Good job. On the other hand, you might – you know, that's going to regress a little bit potentially, and you just have to, you know, keep an eye on that. But I, I love the way Goff is playing. And um, as we said coming into the season – the Lions have put so many good playmakers out there on the field. Amon St. Brown owning the middle. Josh Reynolds has been fantastic this year. The, the connection between him and Goff, um, Sam Laporta, uh, Jameson Williams, that great catch the other day. It was a great catch, Sam. It was a great catch. Um, the big playability of Jameson Williams and Khalif Raymond. So love what they have in Detroit. On the other side, Lamar Jackson's also playing extremely well. And he's had um, – I think he's been a little streaky. I think there's been – uh, bouts of he's just not missing throws and other times where he's uh, you know a little bit more erratic. I think we saw that even last week in the London game. He started out really hot and then slowed down a little bit in the second half. But Lamar, it's really for the third straight year. Here's what I'm keeping an eye on for Lamar Jackson. Third straight year, we're sitting here in week se six, seven, eight, nine, and it's like it's not the 2019 MVP caliber season for Lamar Jackson, but he's really good. He's playing. He's doing his. He's doing his thing on the on the ground. He's throwing the ball pretty well, but he hit these bouts each of the last two years where he started chucking it to the defense, and he had multiple turnover-worthy plays in a bunch of games right around midseason, and then he got hurt, and it was like he never came out of it. Like he hit a slump, and he never came out of it. I want to see Lamar if he can maintain that consistency. I, I think it's going to be an awesome back-and-forth game, Lions-Ravens here. I think Lamar has been playing pretty great this year. He is having a little bit of that Trevor Lawrence thing where for a few weeks he was playing out of his mind and his receivers just weren't helping him out um, for different reasons. I think Lamar is going through some of that himself. And then it's like he's really good in the game. He's getting let down by everybody. 
and then he makes one mistake that sort of makes you feel like he's part of it as well. Whereas realistically, like Lamar should have been, you know, the, the game should have been well won and gone and in the distance. And then like Lamar wakes one bad play and like, see, everything's bad. The Ravens can't get out of their own way. And it's like, no, like <laughs> it has he, been ill. He hadn't been part of the problem yeah. right up until that play. Some overtime misses against the Colts, the late interception against the Steelers. Yeah, there it, he got strip sacked. I don't think that was on him at all. Right. But yeah, it does seem like the negative plays are coming at the wrong time for the he, Yeah, I think Interception kind of left the Titans back into the game last week. I think he's basically making, like, one bad mistake a game, and somehow they're timed to be the worst possible moment, and it makes it look like he's playing the same sort of malaise as everybody else in that offense. But actually, I think he's been pretty spectacular. Like, him, the, the, his performance thus far, resulting in five passing touchdowns and three interceptions, is ridiculous. Like, that's not... I, those don't connect. I don't look... I honestly, I was saying this to you before the show. I don't even look at traditional stats a lot of the time now. Sometimes I do, but I, you know, I used to start there, right? right. I, I look at the grades and the actual performance and the actual plays. I had no idea that his stats weren't good. I had no idea that Stafford's stats weren't good. I'm watching Stafford every week, like, man, dude's balling. He's one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL this year, and I think his stats are terrible. I had no They're idea. Not great. Yeah. I just assumed that they were good because I watch him every like, single week and why I think Stafford's playing well and I didn't know the stats weren't there like Lamar Jackson has the, almost the same turnover touchdown to interception ratio as Kenny Pickett this year you know like that's that's not right <laughs> that shouldn't ex- that should not be the case doesn't feel right one last thing Ravens linebacker is playing extremely well Roquan Smith Patrick Queen I think that's also going to be a big factor in the Lions run game but also we know the Lions and Ben Johnson they're as good as it gets at scheming it up puts those linebackers in a bind Ravens might be able to handle that better than most teams. Kyle Hamilton as a hybrid player. Uh, Ravens have the types of players to combat a well-schemed passing attack against the uh, the Ravens have the ability to combat a really good scheme for the Lions. So, all right, Ravens by three. Where are you going on this? I I don't know, man. Detroit. One last element. Detroit's run defense has been really good this year, um, and obviously. The Baltimore Ravens rushing attack presents a slightly different challenge than most teams because yeah. of Lamar Jackson. So, you know, they didn't like remember they did an insane job against Bijan Robinson and the Falcons right after they had just like looked amazing. Um, now it's like can they have they run into a mobile uh, a team with a mobile quarterback yet? Not really. Like uh, that's using them in the run game. So Mahomes and the Chiefs, no. Seahawks, no. Falcons, not really. Right with Ritter. Packers, no. Panthers, no. Bucks, no. Right. So this is the first time they've run into a QB-centric designed run game. Right, yeah. that changes the whole dynamic. Yeah. So generally speaking, this Lions run defense has been amazing, but Baltimore presents different challenges. Can they still hold up? Over-unders, 42.5. That's an intriguing under-call there. Good offenses, but I think the defenses match up pretty well. So where are you going to go with this game? Uh, Baltimore, my three. Hmm. I'm going to buy into Detroit. I'm buying the hype. Yeah. There's a lot that I like about Baltimore matching up against Detroit, who's now a powerhouse. But um, Detroit's also played much better on the road than they had in recent years. So I can't wait. I can't wait for this one. Yeah, it's a change in mentality. I'm, of course, burned and jaded by the last change in mentality of a team that was relevant to, you know, losing World Cup quarterfinals. So... Maybe, oh, maybe it it's all going to come crashing down to earth this week. You're bringing it up again, huh? Yeah. Still emotionally scarred. Um, we have another video coming out. Check it out on our uh, Twitter this week discussing the Lions and, and how they built 
the team. So just you know, keep an eye out for that. PFF NFL Podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. We have a lineup for Sunday. Our Prize Picks lineup. You ready for this? For PFF. Keep an eye on this. Patrick Mahomes more than 295 and a half passing yards against the Chargers. DK Metcalf going more than 67 and a half receiving yards against Arizona, and Jared Goff going less than 243 and a half passing yards in that game that were just discussed against Baltimore. Uh, Prize Picks is a skill-based, real-money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players like we just did, and you just you know predict if they're going to go more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Prize Picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. Watch your progress in real time. Have it update, and then you can win up to 25 times your amount. Cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. Prize Picks. You're not competing against other people. It's just you against the projections, and prize picks entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize picks offers frequent discounts, bonuses, and other exciting offers. And you can even pick in game projections after the game has started, which includes halves, quarters, periods, and more. And they've got pretty much any single sport here. Prize picks is awesome. Go check it out. Prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL. For a first deposit match up to $100. Again, it's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use the code PFFNFL and you get a first deposit match up to $100. All right, I don't know about you, but I cannot wait. I'll be waiting all day for Sunday night football. Miami Dolphins at the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to watch some games, but I'll be waiting all day for Sunday night. Dolphins-Eagles. Eagles favored by two and a half against the most prolific offense in NFL history through six games. The Dolphins. Crazy stats across the board for the Dolphins. They're all, but they've also lost a game. They lost a game where the Buffalo Bills pretty much shut that offense down yeah. in the second half. Can the Eagles do the same on Sunday night? Yeah, football? it is kind of crazy. Like this, this offense looks absolutely unstoppable, except we've seen visible evidence of it being stopped and stopped fairly conclusively in their for most, 30 minutes. Yeah, in their That's biggest and most, most important game. It's like, well, those things don't make sense. Like, they're, they are so far ahead of everybody else. I mean, you know, the, the, the records that they're breaking in terms of pace through X weeks, you know, like each week, they're overtaking the greatest show on turf, which had an unreasonable, absurd production through the, the start of that season and for the whole season, but particularly the start. Um, and, like, they're averaging eight yards per play. That's yeah. insane. Like a good, the number for everybody is normally between five and six somewhere. They're, yeah. they're at eight. The stat that's been going around is their uh, number two in yards per play is the Niners at six. Yes. So the, the difference between the Dolphins at number one and the Niners at number two is bigger than the difference between the Niners at number two and whoever's team 31 or 32. Right. So the Dolphins are that prolific in a yards per, per play from a yeah. yards per play standpoint. Tyree Kill specifically, also looking to shatter records, our yards per route run number that we've had, you know, PFF goes back to 2006. The record's like 3.6, 3.7 yards per route. 3.63. 3.63 is the record. Tyree Kill is at 5.02. That's the number we were talking about with Marvin Mims early and, in the year on, you know, 10 snaps a game. And 3.63 is the record by a significant margin. Like, yeah. I think the next highest is like 3.2 or something. So Steve Smith in 2008 had an absurd season where he averaged like 0.4 yards per route run more than anybody else we've seen in the last 18 years. Tyreek Hill is on pace to beat that number by 1.4. The number that he is ahead of the record 
which is clear of everybody else by 0.4, is the same yards per route run figure as Gabe Davis had last year. That's just how far ahead of the record pace he is this year. It's nuts. It is nuts, man. I, look, I've said before on Tyreek Hill, I've made the statement, I think if he's on my team, I can make him whatever I want. If, I, if you want Tyreek Hill to be the best slot, slot receiver in the NFL, catch 150 passes, he could do it. If you ask him to be the best deep threat, he can do it. And that's what Miami's asking him to do, to be a vertical threat. He's averaging over 19 yards per catch. And, you know, that's what Miami has chosen. It's a, I mean, look, I would choose that too. I'd probably choose the deep threat thing. But I'm saying that his skill set truly is unique in that you could, he's got the quickness to win in the slot, the speed to win down the field. And Miami's also, you know, doing all the trickeration and the motion and the things to kind of get those little extra cheat codes in there. And that's why they've been so tough to stop right now. I was just checking what he's on pace for in terms of yardage over the season. Because remember, Megatron still owns the What's single like 2, season. 2,500 or something? Megatron has the single season record at 1,964 yards. And for the last few years, you know, these guys with the extra game have been trying to hit that 2,000-yard <laughs> barrier. And for the first few games this season, Tyreek Hill was on pace. Justin Jefferson was on pace. Jefferson goes down. Tyreek Hill is on pace for 306 yards. So he's on pace over to break. 300? Over 2,300, and the record is 1,964. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy, man. I, I think my and take— Remember, he's, like, left games with injuries or yeah. cramp, like IV things. He's not played every snap he could play, and he's still on pace to shatter the records. So I think my take on this game, um, did Buffalo shut Miami down? Did we go back and look at the film and say, hey, what did they do? They, were, you know, they, they added a little bit of physicality. They, I, I, I think this is more, this is, uh, more of a— a hope than a strategy, but they took away to his first read pretty often in the uh, in that game. Buffalo, um, that's like saying, yeah, that's not a strategy. That's like saying, hey, get pressure with your front four. That's an execution thing. But Buffalo executed it extremely well. I do think Buffalo's familiarity with Miami helped in that in that sense. Is there going to be what you used to always say about Jamar Chase? Hey, when somebody first sees Jamar Chase, they don't realize how fast he is. They don't realize the speed he plays at. Is that going to be an issue when you get to this AFC-NFC battle here with the Eagles? The Eagles haven't seen this level of speed from Miami. I think that's going to, you know, maybe be a little jarring right away. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it's a slightly different problem with them. I think the, the issue you have dealing with Miami's speed is that you can't rewire your brain for that speed in in a game right like when you come up against somebody that is like that much faster than everybody else you're dealing with on a regular basis it changes what your brain it changes the physics that your brain has been accustomed to in the last like 20 years right like everything you do uh you ever play soccer where the field is wet and the ball bounces differently because when it hits the ground it accelerates right and when you're not used to that and you then play on a wet field you spend like an hour getting used to the fact that the ball is going to bounce differently than the way your brain is used to it bouncing. And you never, like it takes so long to rewire that because you're so used to a certain physics, right? Everything, physics is a constant. It stays the same. Your brain is used to it. It understands how the world works, how things bounce, all that kind of stuff. And then when you change that, you can't just readjust immediately, right? Your brain takes a while to rewire itself so when you're dealing with a guy that's just at a different speed to everybody else you've ever come across, you can't fix that in a play. It takes you maybe the whole game. It takes you maybe longer than that. 
So you spend the entire game just chasing shadows because you're moving to the wrong place. You're not taking the right angle. You can't deal with it. I think that's what happens. It's not that they're surprised by it. It's that you simply cannot rewire your mind fast enough to the speed you're dealing with now. Were you asking me specifically if I've played in those soccer games? I think I started the question asking you generally, and then in my mind it went rhetorical once I realized who yeah. I was talking to. I have seven years of soccer playing under my belt. Really? Yeah. At what level? Uh, between the ages of five and 12. I see. Yeah. Okay. Seven years, though, of soccer. Yeah. Pretty good. I mean, I wasn't good. So you know. Yeah, but I was going to say yes. Played on a wet field, I remember. There you go. My seven-year-old year. We had a, a sloppy game. Real wet. Completely, <laughs> yeah. Remember that. Um, here's, a, here's a little nugget, you know, with my uh, weather, home road thing. I mean, it's, it's going to be fine in Philadelphia. 50s and maybe a little wind, right? The two games, so I'm just looking for how do you slow down this Dolphins offense. At home, they have been ridiculous, right? At, uh, but the two games they've played on the road and outdoors – I'm not considering Los Angeles outdoors. I know there's a, a little opening in the roof. It's a, it's a dome, right? So they put 36 up in the dome against the Chargers, 70 in Miami, and 31 in Miami, 42 in Miami. But the two games they played outdoors in the Northeast, 24 points against the Patriots and 20 points against the Bills. Just wondering if that's a little bit of a factor here, right? It is. We know it's easier to play on the, you know, the quick turf and the nice weather and everything. It's not going to be raining or it's not going to be snowy or anything. But I wonder if that's going to be a factor for the Eagles. A little less explosive in this game. What what exactly is it about the the elements outside that is is potentially taking like fifty percent off this offense? I'm just I'm just pointing out how they've played outdoors in the Northeast yeah. so far, and you know there's always I think the wind factor you know things are a little bit different. Ball carries differently. Tua threw a duck in New England that got picked off. Right, you just have a few of those throws that aren't as clean well, in you conditions. Don't, you don't want to get the Tua people on your back. I don't. You're trying to say that Tua's noodle is exposed in the wind? I didn't say that. It sounded like that's what you were saying. I'm saying things are a little bit different. Um, the other thing people are asking me about the Eagles people. Ask me about the Eagles' offense this year. I can't put my finger on it, but it feels different, right? It, it has feels been. Slow. I mean, it's not been. It's not been firing on all cylinders. By the way, Lane Johnson being potentially out is a huge it factor. Is. Like Jack Driscoll, it's not like he hasn't played there before, and he, I guess, can. He's better than replacement level. He is, however, a significant step down yeah. from Lane Johnson to the point where it can definitely be problematic against good players. Um, I, I think the Eagles, remember they had that 19-play, 97-yard drive the other day against the Jets. I'm sure they want to play that game against Miami. And I think they'll be able to, right? Just run the ball, grind it out. Do, do you think there's an element of the tush-push deal where they're, they stop to play rugby in short, short yardage? Do you think that's kind of hurting some of their explosiveness? Because when they want to, like when they have to play from behind, the Eagles – and play catch up. They throw the ball down the field to AJ Brown, and he's an explosive player. Is this is there an element where they're too slow? They're slowing down the game too much and losing some of the explosiveness that maybe they had last year because they used to blow teams out last year. Yeah, and it feels like they're doing just enough to keep teams around. And then last week you have a terrible decision by Jalen Hurts, and all of a sudden you lose. Um, or am I oversimplifying this and how the Eagles are playing? No, I think because they only uh, they're only breaking that out you know, 
on short yardage to keep the drive going. So I don't really see that it changes much. You know, people have asked, is it changing the way they call the games, knowing that they have basically the extra down when they need it? But again, it's only when it's like and one, right? They're not doing that. It's not like this is four down territory, so if you leave fourth and three, it's cool because we're going for it anyway. But it is an interesting one, right? So when we were um, when we've criticized offensive coordinators before, it's when they're on first and ten. It's like I just got to get to second and five, and they just care about getting to second and five, and they forget the fact that you're allowed to pick up a first down on first and ten. You're right. allowed to, right? You can run a play action and hit a 14 yard curl and pick up a first down. You don't have to get to second and manageable. But is there that element on third down? It's third and five, and it's like, I'm not going to try to pick up this first down. I know I'm going for it. Let's just get three or four, and then we'll go for it. I wonder if there's something to that, that it's actually working against you a little bit, knowing that you're going to go for it on fourth down, and you're probably going to get it. And you're third and five. You have a lower chance of converting, but you have a better chance of a big play. You could still hit A.J. Brown for 20. Like, you're allowed to pick up 20 on third and five. Um, Again, might be oversimplifying, but that's – it's what you feel. It's what I feel with the Eagles that there's some big play opportunities, maybe that they're not leaning into here. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like they they sort of they don't necessarily go to the AJ Brown well often enough. Like when it, it feels like when they're banked into a corner, it's like oh, let's just fling one at AJ Brown, and then lo and behold, he's uncoverable, and you make a big play. It's like maybe use that more often. Like yeah, we don't. There, there doesn't need it's. It's kind of like the Randy ratio thing. It's like there's not like a limit on how often we can go to this unstoppable playmaker. Like let's just start feeding him the ball. Like we've seen elite receivers in the past get 20, 25 targets in a game. We don't have to not do that just because it is excessive. Like if they're not stopping it, keep going. So if they're not going to stop A.J. Brown, keep throwing him the damn ball. Um, we had a couple of emails actually recently about the, the tush-push thing. One guy was asking, why can't the defense basically do the same? Like, multiple guys and push them back and just create this mess. Yeah. Uh, they're not allowed. You can't dry, you can't push from behind as a defense. That's, so it's an unbalanced rule in terms of you're only allowed to push from the offensive side. You're not allowed to do it from the defensive side, which is why a lot of people have been saying, you know, this is an unstoppable play because literally it's unbalanced in terms of the rules. Uh, and then somebody else was saying... You know, you talk about it being a rugby play. And whilst it isn't a scrum, it's not really a mall either because of the way it works. What it's actually like is there's a play in rugby where from a few yards out, you take a quick tap and a guy like binds onto the side of you and they try and like run over one guy essentially. Uh, Now the difference, the real difference between that and this is rugby can stop those plays because the guy with the ball is the first line. Right, so you can just chop him down, and they made the point in the email. I'm sorry for forgetting the guy's name. I wasn't planning on talking about it, but he's like, you know, you chop this guy's legs and you stop the play. Now you can't do that with the tush push because there's a line of offensive linemen in front of Jalen Hurts. Right, so you can't get at his legs to chop him down and end the play at source. Um, And that's the real problem with this play and why it is so difficult to stop if you execute it well, like the Eagles do. Yeah, it's interesting, man. Like I, there's to me, there's just a little something missing from the Eagles' offense. It's not just the short yardage stuff, um, but I'd like I, I know they have the big play potential. And look, it, I think there's two ways this game goes, right? I think the Eagles either slow it down, Miami gets limited possessions, and the, you know both teams maybe score in the twenties. But if it gets into a shootout, I think I think the Eagles are able to 
to hang with it too. I think it's going to be an awesome game either way. Um, and of course, you have the Alabama QB, you know, Jalen Hurts, Tua, Tua took over for Hurts. I mean, there's so many great storylines here. Um, super impressed with how much Jalen Hurts has improved since getting benched for Tua. I mean, Tua looked way better than Jalen Hurts in college, and now they are comparable quarterbacks in the NFL. Comparable Dolphins fans, right? We can speak about them in the same conversation. Oh, that is allowed. That's going to make them mad. Why did they get so mad? They, I, they're demented. I tweeted a... I mean, they were mad when Tua wasn't, didn't have good stats. Yeah. When he was averaging six yards per attempt, they were like, no, he's a god. So, I, you know, here I they are. I tweeted a, uh, just a video of a Justin Herbert throw and did not reference Miami Tua anything whatsoever. <laughs> and I was just besieged by Tua fans just ranting. It's like it's unhinged behavior. Hey, it's funny. And the, uh, Tua's playing awesome. I don't, you know, he is, he is playing great. And if we go back, look, man, we had Tua over Justin Herbert in our QB rankings as a group. I think we had them all in the first round. Joe Burrow, then Tua, then uh, then Justin Herbert. And this is, you could debate last year when Tua was out there, but this is clearly the first, I think, the first time where Tua is clearly playing better than Justin Herbert at this point in their career, and which is, again, makes the whole QB evaluation thing fascinating, right? I think Joe, even Tua fans can probably admit Joe Burrow's been the best quarterback from, you know, the totality of their careers. But two is playing the best out of all of them right now. I don't know if they would. I don't think they would either. <laughs> Where are you going with this game, man? I've got uh, I've got conflicting vibes here, man. I got confliction. I'm going like, Miami. Yeah, I, my my first instinct was Miami and the um, shock factor. I, think I know I've gonna... seen it happen, but I still can't even imagine this offense being stopped. Yeah, I mean, we had the same take. We thought Miami was getting hosed when they were underdogs against Buffalo, but I think Vegas like Vegas has. Philly by two and a half because Philly's a good team and it's outdoors in the Northeast-ish. Northeast-ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> outdoors in the Mid-Atlantic. It's, 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 it's mid-October. It's not outdoors. New England or Buffalo, but it's Philly, right? Yeah. It's, it's mid-October, mid outdoors in the Northeast-ish. I'm gonna I be... know they put up 27 or whatever in Buffalo in the snow last year. I know, but two... <laughs> it's going to be a mid-50s game. I mean, that's, that's rough. Just saying. Get some wins there. All right, there's a lot of time on the two best games of the week. Those are awesome games. Let's fly through the rest. Yeah, right. Uh, one o'clock games on Sunday. Atlanta Falcons at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Did it again. Wow, what a catch. Need a gif. Gif that up. Went like this. Boop, caught it. Falcons at the Bucks. Tampa Bay favored by two and a half. Bucks are two, uh, three and two. Falcons, three and three. Battle for the top of the NFC South here. Yeah. Desmond Ritter has gone from like, uh, you know, game manager. Let's not take too many attempts. Let's not ta get too many yardage to like 300 yards each of the last two games. One of which was good. One of which was bad because he was heaving the ball to the defense a ton. Does he have more dropbacks in the last two games than he had the previous four weeks? It's got to be close, right? No, uh, it wasn't that bad in week five. But you're right. I mean, it is uh, game flow is weird in Atlanta. Week one, he dropped back only 22 times, and it felt like that's the world they want to play in. Yeah. And it's, they're not playing in that world. Right. And I don't know if, like, it's almost like sort of the Houston game, like, gave them confidence. It's like, ah, he can be this guy. And then they, you know, they went crazy again against Washington. Now, like, this, Well, Washington shut down the run game right. pretty well. Exactly. So there's some, you know, elements to that. But 
that's not the game they want to be playing. Like this, this game does not want to flow through Desmond Ritter. And if it does, they probably have issues. We have said, and we said coming into the season, an average to above average quarterback. If you put Ryan Tannehill from a couple of years ago on this team, maybe they look really dangerous. And I think the turnover-worthy plays tell that story, right? Ritter had four in week two. He had two in week three. He had three in week four, two of which were actual interceptions. He had four last week against Washington, and that was the hands on your head, Arthur Smith moment. I mean, if Ritter just takes care of the ball and and also right finds that balance of giving Drake London and Kyle Pitts and some of those playmakers the ability to make plays, Atlanta's dangerous. But the turnovers or just the you know potential turnovers have been a massive issue. Yeah, they have, absolutely. Um, but I think one of the biggest things is that run game that is supposed to be the foundation of this offense for Atlanta has been actually shut down by yeah. several teams this season. Um, and the Bucks are equipped to stop it again. Sure. Uh, but that, like, if that can't happen, like, this team actually needs that run game. It's, it's supposed to be the most run-heavy team in the NFL. It's built to be the team that's zigging while everybody else is zagging. Um, Desmond Ritter is supposed to be there to just, like, steer the ship and not screw it up. And, you know, if they can tap into his part of the design run game, all the better. But if it gets stopped and they have to pass to win, it's just not – they're just not set up to do it. Yeah, man, I, I agree. I, I completely agree with that, and I think you're going to run into another game. Like, Vita Vea played out of his mind last week. Kalijah Kansi came back, and Kansi, you know, he's 280 or whatever he is, and there'll be some plays where you can knock him off the ball, but he's disruptive as well. Yeah. Remember we made some – we said he's – for all the undersized defensive tackles, we will not say the name Aaron Donald for any of these guys. We said that for Ed Oliver as well, and we, you know, we're right on that, but – Cansey uh, has some Ed Oliver, I think, to his game where there'll be some plays where you're like, man, he's just too undersized. He's getting destroyed. And there's other plays where you see the quickness and the leverage, and he's in the back, playing in the backfield. Cansey's first extended time playing last week was impressive. So I think the Bucks, they're um, and, and it's a Todd Bowles defense, right? They they start their life with stop the run, and. I think they'll do it well again this week, and it becomes another one-dimensional game for Ritter and the Falcons. Yeah, Kansi was interesting last week because he was just very routinely hand- handled in the run game. Like he's disruptive. He's quick. He's fast. He can cause real problems from a pass-rushing standpoint. But in the run game, it wasn't even like you hear a lot, you know, Aaron Donald, Ed Oliver, whatever, whoever your undersized defensive tackle is, like, ah, oh, he, he doesn't hold up against double teams, right? Kansi wasn't – double teams were irrelevant. He was just getting blocked one-on-one easily. Like yeah. the guy would just grab hold of him and move him to where he wanted him to go, and Kansi was done. That – I mean, even if that's a weakness of his game, that's a, like a problematic level of not being a factor in the run game. Do anything other than that, right? And I include shoot the gap and just get in the backfield and cause problems. Just don't – you can't just stand there, allow a guy to grab hold of you and turn you into the gap that he wants you to be in, and you're, you're not in the play anymore. Like, you've got to either shed that block, you've got to shoot the gap to make that more difficult and at least disrupt the blocking scheme generally. Last week can't be the default position, and now you're going up against a team that does want to run the ball, that does want to, you know, that's where they want to live. So if Kansi is going to be that 
generally, I mean, he shouldn't play much this game. Like, they should limit him to being a situational player in this game if that's the level we're going to see. What you described was definitely early early career at Oliver. Right. It was, and the Bills were getting run over. So that's just – it's something to keep an eye on. The other thing, too, is uh, we've talked a ton this year. Uh, when we talk about the Falcons this year, we talk a lot about Ritter, of course. We've talked a lot about Bijan because he's hashtag fun to watch. The defense, right? If the If the Falcons have had – if the Falcons would have better, more consistent quarterback play, we'd be talking about a lot of the offseason additions that the Falcons made and how that has them, you know, four and two or whatever it might be. David Onyemata coming in, playing probably the best football of his career. Calais Campbell, almost our age, still playing extremely well. Jesse Bates has made almost. a ton of plays this year. Jeffrey Akuda in the middle of the best year of his career after they picked him up for nothing, former first-round pick from the Lions. So... There's a lot of good stuff on the defensive side for the Falcons. I checked it out, by the way, after we talked about this with Trev on Tuesday's show. I do need Jason Peters to become active. Otherwise, there are no NFL players that are older than us. Not even a kicker? Not even a kicker. There's not even a kicker older than us? Not a kicker. Seattle might need to activate him this week. He's on a practice squad. Yeah. So, you know, depending he on might. how you feel about that, technically he's still active in the league somewhere. But if he's not activated, we're not, we, are, we are older than every single player. He might need to get activated this week. Yeah. It might happen. So, um, anyway, I, I think the Falcons' defense is playing uh, you know, pretty well. And then on the Bucks' side, like I said last week in the review show, Baker Mayfield 2-for-10 on 20-plus yard throws. There were opportunities the other day. I think Mayfield's played well this year. But when they've played good teams, right, when they played Philadelphia, when they played Detroit – you just didn't feel like they're in that in that conversation. This is a team. The Falcons are a comparable team, and so look, the NFC South is is not great. I mean, it's it is so bad. I think the Bucks could can win it again. The Falcons can win it. The Saints can win it. Um, so I think the Bucks can can win this game and be another team that's it's going to be difficult to compete against the best in the NFC as we've seen. But Bucks have a chance to go four and two here and really take control in the division. Kansi's only rushed the passer thirty-seven times, and he already is five pressures off the team lead. <laughs> yeah, let him go, man. That'd be great. So I think there's a lot of fun matchups in this game. Um, even last year, Atlanta, Atlanta, I thought was more overmatched last year against the Bucks, and they hung, they beat him in the last game when uh, I think Brady only played the first half or whatever. But the Falcons were competitive with the Bucks last year. I think it should be a good one. Uh, Bucks are favored by two and a half. Where are you going with this one? Don't forget it's Ritter on the road too. Ooh, yeah. I think I was going to lean Tampa Bay anyway, but that just seals it for me. Um, I'm concerned by the fact that this run game for Atlanta has crapped out in a couple of spots. Like they need that to be yeah. functional for them to succeed. But, I, I mean, I think there is a chance they can exploit Cansey if he's in the lineup. Yeah, I think uh, I'm leaning Tampa Bay as well to cover the two and a half. I think the matchup leads to another Ritter-centric game and just not ready to trust him. One good game out of five Yeah, for Ritter so far, or out of six. Uh, Washington Commanders at the New York Giants. I'm not going to say what it is. Commanders favored by two and a half against the Giants. What were you going to say? Sackfest. Sackfest. That's what I was going to say. Okay. It's probably not it's a, a good sack off. It's not a sack off. No, it's not. It's not a sack off. 
If How Daniel many Jones, times will the quarterback be tackled behind the line of scrimmage in this one? It is a battle between two quarterbacks, if Daniel Jones plays, yeah. who are on pace to set records. Is Jones still on pace after missing probably. a game? Probably. Like, even missing a game, yeah. he's probably still on pace to certainly – I mean, he's, set the sack record. he's definitely on pace to set the sack record. He's probably still on pace to go over 100 sacks in a year. Yeah. Sack fest. Yeah. So – this, uh, che, or Sam Howell in particular, like you're trying to sort of think the way he plays the game sometimes. It's kind of like, you know, those... Sam? Sam Howell. Yeah, yeah. You know those games where you like blindfold somebody, spin them around 15 times and then like make them walk in a straight line? That's kind of how he is in the pocket, right? It's like... <laughs> He's the dizzy back quarterback? Yeah, just blindly lurching from side to side, pinballing off bodies and hoping that he actually makes it beyond the line of scrimmage and doesn't get sacked and usually not. Um... But that's just in terms of pocket presence, right? When he actually just drops back and fires, he's, he's actually quite good. Yeah. When you, so Rob the, Johnson, baby. The grade is, no, because he was crap. Rob Johnson could chuck it. Yeah, but not to the right place. Like, that's the difference. Howell is actually good. His grade is fairly middling, but number one, he's being dragged down by all the sacks we charge him for. Number two, he's also being dragged down by that one nightmare game against... Buffalo, was it, where he just started firing the ball to the defense six times, right? I mean, you can't because these are part of his game. But if you take those two things out, his grade is good, like really good. So he's this weird quarterback where outside of one crappy game, which lets one of six, so it's not like an insignificant thing. That was a big chunk. But outside of one really terrible game and the fact that he is a sack magnet in the pocket, he's actually playing at a very quite high level. Like... And strangely, it seems to get better when they just say, we're in like must-pass, hurry-up offense. Let's just put it all on Sam Howell's shoulders, right? The more they rely on him doing it, the better he seems to play in those situations. I just, I'm not sure there's a more unusual quarterback in the NFL than Sam Howell. I completely agree. I think you summed it up well. I'm still very intrigued by Sam Howell. This isn't, he's taking all these negative plays and the offense is incompetent. It's like, the offense is still pretty good. Yeah. Despite all of this and I know um, we did a little uh, explain the grade on Washington yesterday how they have the number eight pass blocking grade and Sam Howell's also on pace to to, to break the sack record so check that out from yesterday's show where we got into it a little bit um, but I'm intrigued by yeah so look so hang on I just ran the numbers of what is what his numbers look like without that oh you did it without the Buffalo game no no the, without the Buffalo game oh okay um, you take that game out 75 uh, the grade is yeah, it's seven. The grade is seventy-one, but his numbers, right? If you take that game out, his numbers go to nine touchdowns, two interceptions. His turnover-worthy play rate drops to one point six percent, which is like league-leading, best you know rate in the league type of number. Um, if you just like one nightmare game against a defense, let's remember that shut down Miami, like good defense, right? Yep. Good and difficult to deal with as an opposing quarterback. You you get rid of that. And you are dealing with a quarterback that you would be saying is playing at a very high level, except the sacks. Now, that game existed, so we at least know that that's like in his range of outcomes, that he could have a meltdown and it's awful. But we're not dealing with an incompetent quarterback here, just a weirdly flawed one. Yeah, and so I think the Sam Sam Howell development is going to be fascinating, right? Because um, there have been other quarterbacks through the years, not at this level of extreme, but a Deshaun Watson – a Russell Wilson, even Aaron Rodgers at various points in his career, Ryan Tannehill, who you say, when you throw the ball, things are good. 
but you also get sacked three, four, five times a game, and that's bad. But we don't want to take away that aggressiveness that you have. We don't want to take away your ability to make plays inside and outside of structure. So finding that balance for Sam Howell in the in you know the weeks and years to come is going to be fascinating. Because yeah, when he and again, I don't think he throws the ball at the same level as you know Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson when they were at their best. But he's good, man. He can he can chuck it accurately and. Uh, make big time throws, and there's a lot of good to Sam Howell's game. Now I'm trying to get his grade without sacks. If you're uh, there's a um, if result. Your product would if you go to out. Ultimate, there's a result, and you can. I already have the I have the filters. I'm just waiting for your product to actually spit me out the numbers. Untick sack. We're probably probably reloading it or something right now. Uh, his grade jumps up to 76 without that. That's pretty good. Which puts him, by the way, slightly ahead of Brock Purdy. Oh jeez. <laughs> Sam Howell, Brock Purdy without the sacks. There you go. Uh, one of the league's great minis- uh, mysteries this year, Kayvon Thibodeau. So, you know, this is a uh, – Thibodeau might get some sacks. I don't know if he'll win one-on-ones. Again, the commander's pass, uh, offensive line's pass blocking fine. But Kayvon Thibodeau has a 44.9 grade this year. This is a rare drop. Last year, 72 grade as a rookie and some incredible games from Thibodeau was good against the run, was good as a pass rusher. This year, a 35 grade in the run game, 59 as a pass rusher, not good whatsoever. We don't see this very often. So if I'm going to pick on the non-model guys, like the Tyree Wilsons and Trayvon Walkers, i got to pick on Thibodeau, too. Is he a model guy? Uh, yeah, I think he was, yeah. Not as clear-cut as Aiden Hutchinson, but right. he, was, he was in. He was in. He was yeah. a yes. One, he's basically had one good pass rushing game this year against Seattle, where, of course, they were down all, like most of their offensive linemen, uh, particularly yeah. the tackles. Uh, so he had four pressures in that game, an 83.6 pass rushing grade. Every other pass rushing grade has been 60 or lower. Uh, last week against Buffalo, he had six pressures, but he had 29 pass rushes and a grade of 60.6 because they weren't you know, decisive, awesome wins. Like He has not been good. Walt in the chat is right for the first time. We have to move on from this game. It's a lot of time on this game. Walt was right for the first time. We got a lot of games to get there. Oh, this is the first time Walt's right? First time he's ever been right. He is right. We should make our picks <laughs> and get to the next game. Right. Washington favored by two and a half at New York. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Washington. Yeah, I'll take the commanders to cover the two and a half on the road here. Uh, Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots. Bills favored by eight and a half at New England. Yikes. Feels low, actually. Feels low. The yeah. Bill Belichick team. Eight I would have to, dogs at home. I would have to look at, like, last year's Buffalo team that was favored by double digits often. It was probably about a touchdown favorite, I would think, in New England even. And the Patriots were a mid-tier team. Now they're... Yikes. Now they look terrible. Yeah. Um, a lot of injuries in New England as well. Like, the guys that are actually playing well, like Trent Brown, injury report. Yeah. Could get worse. Buffalo did not cover, though, last week. What do you make of Buffalo kind of trudging through a win against the Giants? Still one of the best offenses in the league. The people, (laughs) Buffalo Bills fans are upset with Ken Dorsey, even though they still have a top three to four offense in the the league. What do you make of the Bills right now? Um, I mean, they're another one of these confusing teams, like, outside of the occasional clunker you know it's like miami's i don't understand the the buffalo miami game is incongruous with the rest of miami's season it's like it doesn't fit it doesn't make sense this piece of the puzzle doesn't 
fit in the hole that's left by the rest of their season. Other than playing a, the best defense that they've played, right? Far. But he, but but even so, like, there's nothing to suggest that that would like completely shut them down. And in fact, even early in that game, there wasn't anything to suggest that was going to happen. Like the first five drives from combined were touchdowns, and then Buffalo just stopped giving up scores again. They played better. Yeah. So Buffalo, you've got for the four wins, they've looked like the best team in the NFL. Um, except the, the, the Giants game. So you've got three games, right? Three wins where they look like the best team in the NFL. You've got the meltdown from Josh Allen on the opening day against, you know, the Aaron Rodgers-less <coughs> Jets. You've got the loss in, or against Jacksonville in London, right? Yep. And then you've got this random game against the Giants where they won, but it was an absolute grind. The jet lag game. Right, and they were supposed to win by like 25 points. So they were playing at two in the morning. They went from London time. They're playing two in the morning London time. It's not fair. Yeah. One in the morning. I just, I'm confused by the, you were talking about teams that make no sense. The Bills are that team for me. I like their season doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't, look, I think clearly they're better than New England. I I don't know if they're going to cover the nine. Um, I don't know when New England finally decides they're going to come out of it, but I'm, the Bills have had these games before in their history. Remember 2021, they lost to the Jags, who were not good, 9-6 to in Jacksonville. They have some don't-make-sense games. The Bills also, the Bills and the Cowboys, they're those teams that just have games where they just dominate, right, and just crush teams that they should crush. So it could go that way for Buffalo. I think it'll be a little bit tighter than that, but um, the Bills will, I, I think they'll take care of business here. And the Patriots' offense that has struggled mightily. Mac Jones played a little better last week, but you, to to <coughs> convince yourself of that, you have to take away three pretty bad plays. You have to take away, you know, a, a terrible interception, another potential pick six, another, you know, you take away a few and the offense was a little bit better last week, but it's it's that was against the Raiders. The Bills defense is going to be a challenge. I believe I'm reading this uh, green line tracking sheet correctly, but I think the game, the same game last year away at New England was also eight and a half points. Really? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, this feels low given what we know about the Bills as top three NFL team and what we know about the Patriots, bottom three NFL team. Whereas last year, you could New England was, what, team 18, 20, 21? Like, they were more middle of the pack last year. Yeah, interestingly, though, last year, um, Green Line said, the edge was towards New England. Like they were, the Green Line was like a point the other way. It yeah. said it should only be seven and something. This year, Green Line is a point in the opposite direction. It says that it's low and that the Bills should be an extra point ahead. Yeah, and even when New England was not one of the worst teams in the league, they struggled against the Bills, right? They, the only time they had really had success against Josh Allen and the Bills was when it was 900-mile-an-hour wins. Right? Yeah. That's pretty much it. I've just talked myself out of this either way. I, I was like, no, there's no way Bill Belichick's team gets waxed by, you know, more than that in a division game at home. Give and me yet Buffalo. they're awful, so they will. I'll take Buffalo. Uh, there's a lot of talk in New England that, you know, Malik Cunningham was the backup quarterback last week. They gave him about five or six snaps. Didn't go well. Like they're trying to figure stuff out over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll take the Bills to cover the eight and a half. All right. Today's show brought to you by Manscaped. Who's taking a step up from Balloween to bring you your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. That's right. So this season, no need to toil and trouble. Manscaped's all-new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the handyman was designed to give you the smooth finish without the mess. 
of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. If you're like me, you, you need to, you know, I'm a handyman type of guy. I shave once a week, like a little bit of stubble. I like to deal with the stubble. We'll talk about, you know, if you get the full beard like Sam, which you're going to use in a minute. That's, uh, that's, but, you know, for me, my maybe spooky season, but you don't want to scare people with that scraggly beard. Give them something to look at with Manscaped's handyman. That's my day. That's my thing. You would use the, uh, what are you going to use? The beard hedger. <laughs> You're a beard hedger guy, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But look, let me go back to the handyman for a minute. Do. If, you, if you're doing if you're doing the old school razor thing, you got to move to the handyman. The skin safe technology will help reduce nicks and cuts, and you can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. For wet or dry use, feel free to bring this anywhere and everywhere. The compact design and airplane friendliness make this the perfect travel tool for on the go and being able to shave up to three days growth without the mess of a wet shave. It's all priceless, so you can deal with that, right? And then you, the Wolfman. Beard Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 haircutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more drawers are full of extra add-on collecting, add-ons collecting web, uh, cobwebs, right? How's that? Nailing it. Today. Beautiful, yeah. It is wonderful. It's really amazing. That's right. Your Halloween costume may take some effort, but beard grooming doesn't need to when you get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art in a travel size package with a long-lasting battery, universal charger, and a strong motor. It's like uh, Bud Dupree, strong motor. The real challenge is when you get uh, extemporaneous on the ad reads, you know, and then you got to try and weave it back into the Trying to personalize it. Yeah. Trying to personalize it. Trying not to just read. Mm-hmm. Trying to get a little bit personal. Screwed it up a little bit. Mm. Well, it's the it's the transition back from the ad lib, yeah. right? It's going back. The, Where do I pick up yeah. the reading part? We're all working through this together here on the PFF NFL podcast. But anyway, there's no trick with this treat. Manscaped has you covered. Here's the deal. 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. Manscaped.com. Use the code PFF for a look as sweet as candy. Get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. Yeah. I mean, as I say, I I haven't shaved in quite some period of time, so I can't vouch for the, the handyman. I'm sure it's a great product, but that beard trimmer is legitimately good like that's that thing is awesome the fact that you only need the one you know guard thing and you can just spin through from like nothing to i think 20 millimeters maybe or 10 millimeters 20 half millimeter things like which is basically full beard right the fact that you can spin through from buzz tight to full beard and use the whole use the one thing without all these different things is actually it's legitimately awesome well done Way to reel it back Landscape. in. Landscape.com forward slash PFF, right? And use code PFF. Code PFF. All right. It is uh, the Las Vegas Raiders at the Chicago Bears. Tyson Bagent. Let's go. Against Aiden O'Connell or Brian Hoyer? It's probably Hoyer, right? They're not going to go back. I feel like the uh, Aiden O'Connell and DTR, I think, are in the same bucket of we saw so much in preseason, it was worth giving a shot. And then what we saw in the regular season was, yeah, you know what? No, not really. I don't know, man. It felt like they just want Hoyer as the backup and they wanted to, you know, make O'Connell the starter when he's got a week to prep. So I'm not sure. I haven't heard reports. I know Jimmy Garoppolo has got a back injury, did not practice Wednesday. And Garoppolo, you know, we talk about the great healers around the NFL. Great healers. Yeah. He's not a great healer. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is a great healer. No. So Tyson Bajant, though, almost certainly getting the start for the Bears. Is yeah. that official official? I mean, it has to be, right? He's got – well, the, so the fields thing, dislocated thumb. Um, 
it's okay, but it's like he can't grip the ball. It's a grip yeah. strength thing. It's not a pain thing. It's like until he can actually grip the ball properly, he can't play quarterback. Yeah, that's a challenge. Yeah, so Bajan is the guy. The uh, Raiders are favored by three in Chicago here. Bajan had uh, you know some good things the other day and some look, looking like a I, D2 rookie thing. I actually like – so this is one of the few times I've agreed with Tony Romo in recent history, but Tony Romo was <laughs> like saying – yeah, Tony Romo was saying on the broadcast that Aiden O'Connell actually did quite a lot of nice things during the game he played. It's just the stuff he didn't do well was, like, crippling, right? Like, the the sacks, the, the turnovers, like, they, they were problematic. <laughs> it's like, again, it was like that Bryce Young analysis game one, right? If you take out the two crippling, idiotic turnovers, he actually played quite well. That's how I felt with Aiden O'Connell, and that's kind of how I felt about Bajan last week as well, where... Comes in like instant fumble. Like, oh, come on. So that was a bad thing. But he worked, the offense worked with him in there. He was delivering the ball to a reasonable spot. There were a couple of mistakes, but the dude is like a D2 rookie. Of course, there's going to be mistakes. It's more like, let's see what we can do here. So I would, I would actually enjoy watching a game, I think, with both Aiden O'Connell versus Tyson Bajan. I almost, it's almost fair at that point, right? It's like, we'll start our massively flawed rookie quarterback, and you can start your massively flawed rookie quarterback, and they'll offset each other, and then we'll just play a game, right? If you start a veteran, that's, not, that's just cheating, right? Yeah. So you, you can't, you know, if we're starting Bajan, you have to start O'Connell. Hoyer might actually not make a mistake in this game, and then, then we'll lose. So I would be up for seeing this game with both of the rookies. So you think they just need to make a gentleman's agreement? Yeah. Like, we'll both agree. We'll start our, you know, we'll start ours and you start yours. And let's just see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I think either way, I'm going to lean on you need to run the ball. I mean, yeah. this is where you need – you definitely actually need balance as far as, like, an effective run game. One of the uh, real things I can't figure out here – Raiders run blocking is mid-tier, and uh, J- Josh Jacobs averaging 2.9 yards per attempt. And uh, Jacobs doesn't look right. Doesn't look – I mean, last year he was so good, Josh Jacobs. And, you know, they were able to – we had like a walk-off 80-yarder in overtime, and <clears throat> there were games where he won them, right? I think the best NFL running backs have three or four games a year where you say, okay, he, he carried the workload, right? And he did stuff above and beyond what your average running back – who doesn't matter, will do. I mean, Josh Jacobs is like the opposite right now this year. I think the Raiders actually do need to kind of figure that out. And if it is O'Connell, remember when he he got sacked six times by Khalil Mack in a game where it was like, good job, Khalil Mack, but that was also like O'Connell's holding the ball forever. we got to cut down on those. Um, so figuring out this Raiders offense has been a question mark. I think Jacoby Myers has been fantastic. Devontae Adams not – producing at the same level of volume, but he's still capable. Still a lot of potential, I think, with this Raiders offense, but I think they have to get – they have to figure out how to get that run game going. Uh, did you see his tweet? Jacob? Oh, Devontae. Devontae Adams? Yes, yeah. He was – yeah, he was not happy with the win because he's chasing greatness or something. Well, he – no, so he uh, – damn it, where was it? I was looking at this a second ago. He quote tweeted a Raiders beat reporter whose name has escaped me at the moment, so apologies for that. But the guy was basically explaining – you know, Devontae's attitude with things at the moment. He's like, look, Devontae only wants to win. And in order for him to win, the offense needs to be better than it currently is. And in order for the offense to be better than it currently is, they need to give Devontae Adams the ball more, right? That was essentially his summation of what was, of Adams' attitude. And Adams quote tweeted that and was like, 
you know, yes, thank you, et cetera. Like, yeah. So he's basically saying, look, all I want to do is win, and the only way we win is if I'm given the ball more because I'm better than all of you chumps, right? And there's, there's some logic to that. No lies told. Right. Yeah. That's now, it. that being said, I think they've actually done a pretty good job of, like, using him as a decoy. I mean, we talked about this last week. The fact that New England was bracketing him basically every time they could it made sense to attack the something else that that was opening up, like using his gravity to attack space. And I think they did a pretty good job of that. Now, did they do a better job than they would have done if they just force-fed him 20 targets? I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree there. I mean, I think you – generally, I think when you look at it, the alpha receiver – found it. The quote? I finally found the – yeah, the quote in the tweet. Uh Tayshon Reed is the guy's name that had this. So my takeaway from Devontae Adams' comments today, he values winning above all else but knows the Raiders can't win at the level he wants to without the offense being significantly better. For the offense to be that, he needs to get the ball more. And then there's more, but it's a picture, so I can't see the rest of it. And then Devontae Adams quote tweeted that saying, simple, thank you, brother. So Devontae Adams wants the damn ball more because he believes that's the best way of them winning. I thought there was some other quote, too, that said, I'm not just chasing wins i'm chasing greatness or something to that effect i, I mean did. he may I have also was, tweeted i thought that. there was some other part to it but either way i think there'll be opportunities the bears have the second worst epa per play allowed in the, against the pass so yeah there'll be some opportunities here i think for the raiders depending on who is at quarterback whether it's brian hoyer aiden o'connell if jimmy garoppolo ends up playing opportunity against this bears team that struggles rushing the passer and struggles on the back end, and we'll keep an eye on Bajan and what he can do as a rookie. I don't think there's a world where we're talking about Bajan being the future for the Bears. Hmm. How long? So, not the team that has is the team that is has a very high percentage chance of picking one of the top two quarterbacks in the draft next year. I don't think we're going to be talking this season about. Okay, but. Bajant first, like, you know. Is there a world where he... Just get Tyson Bajant, just get Bajant, a left tackle and a receiver with those top two picks next year and we'll be fine. But I is, don't envision that happening. But is there a world where he can take the job from Fields until that point? So I think the balance there is at the end of the year, the Bears have two things that they probably want. Bajant to be a really good future backup, but also Justin Fields to have really good trade value. Unless, unless Fields comes back and he takes that step forward that we've, you know, theorized could exist, which is great runner, becomes an efficient passer, and, and, and at the end of the season, it's like, well, Fields is the guy we're going to build around. We legit are going to draft a left tackle and a receiver for him. Not a chance. I doubt that's going to happen. But you want Fields' trade value to be high because at the end of the year, Fields will so have what is, trade So what value. maximizes his – how does he – how, is the, <laughs> how does that happen? Fields, Fields plays well enough. Through the rest of the year. What if he plays the same level he's playing now? Then he's only the value is only getting value. worse. He has some trade value if he plays at the same level. Right, but if he, but probably like, if he maintains the sort of average of his current level for the next remaining stretch of the season, that's reducing his value, right? Um, maybe it <laughs> keeps it about even. If he has some of those, you know, flashy games like last year. Yeah, but that I, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know. Either way, let's see. We'll see what Bajan does. I'll take the Raiders. I like Bajan. I'm going to Bears. Okay, I'll take the Raiders to cover the three. 
their defense doesn't have great numbers, but they're like they seem to be getting good results. I can't figure out the Raiders mm. either. It's a lot I can't figure out. Cleveland Browns at the Indianapolis Colts. Browns favored by two and a half in Indy. Remember Gardner Minshew is the starter now for the Colts, and Anthony Richardson officially did have his season-ending shoulder surgery. Just to touch on that quickly, you heard statements from Jim Irsay, who, you know, they dealt with all the Andrew Luck injuries, the pesky shoulder and drama, and they wanted Luck to come back, and Luck went to Europe, and uh, all sorts of stuff. And I think Irsay said something along, along the lines of, I've learned patience, as in, like, get the surgery, we'll see you next year. Yeah, I mean, protect your star quarterback so that he doesn't retire randomly in the middle of preseason rather than face another year of pain and misery and getting yeah. hurt. We're going to try to try to avoid that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's not, a bad, not a bad idea. Speaking of shoulders, Deshaun Watson dealing with his rotator cuff injury. He's got to work on that scapula strength. You know, so to improve your shoulder, it's all about thoracic mobility and scapula strength. Yeah? Yeah. So hmm. that's what you need to do. That's what Watson needs to do. Yeah. You should call him up. A little sleeper stretch. Sleeper stretch. Is Get that that weird thing that they do in, in all the warm-up preseason things where you see them looking like These waving? Things? Yeah, yeah. No, it's not so much that. It's more of a static stretch here. Okay. That's probably more important for baseball players than football players. But every time you throw, your arm you know, jacks back into external rotation, and it creates an imbalance so you want to balance that out with better internal rotation. So those are the types of things Watson should be working on right now for that rotator cuff. Okay. Um, is it time to just turn the keys over to PJ? That's what the people are asking. People are asking. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, he's got the best winning percentage of all time for Cleveland Browns starting yeah. quarterbacks. Can't argue with that. Otto Graham? Nope. Not Otto. PJ. PJ. On the other hand, I know PFF grades aren't gospel. Mm-hmm. But he did have a 26 last week. Oh, was it that bad? At least passing-wise. It was yeah. that bad. Yeah. Wow. So, no, I would not turn it over to P.J. That's ass. P.J. also had one of the best games of the NFL season last year out of yeah. nowhere. So you just never know when that's going to hit. You just never know what you're going to get with P.J. Yeah. So I wouldn't do that. Um, we talked a little bit about the Browns' defense yesterday. That did not go over well with the Browns fans. Shot. But um, they are playing as a, as a – uh, on the whole, they're playing really well this year, the Browns' yeah. defense. And they played well against the Niners. They're also playing They're playing 8% more man coverage than any other team in the league. Because they're blitzing the crowd. Or not blitzing. They're, like, dialing up pressure at an absurd, like, design constantly. And yeah. Just letting those guys go play. They are um, – I think the best way to sum them up is they are just – it's, it's, like, you saw it in week one against the Bengals. And there were other factors it felt back in week one, but even every week since that point, it's just difficult throws, low percentage throws, and they're doing a good job of that. And Miles Garrett has been pretty much unblockable, and all of Miles Garrett's friends that they brought in are playing pretty well, and it's creating, right now, the best defense in the league. Reactions to that uh, explain the grade thing make me wonder, are we just inarticulate chumps, or do people just not... Are people in, unable to listen to words that come out of your mouth and actually relay back what was said? Probably both. Right, okay. It's probably both. both. No, I'd rather blame other people. I mean, there's stuff like, like I like, don't think could... Miles Garrett created pressure on the Brock Purdy interception. He was behind Purdy. Maybe Purdy short-armed it because he knew Miles Garrett was behind. Like, Miles Garrett was 10 yards behind the quarterback. That's not pressure. 
but like and he was engaged with the tackle. That's not really you make pressure. you make a general point that there were plays where the Browns defense did not do anything, and yet lack of execution by the 49ers well, offense leads to different results than performance, right? Which is effectively luck on a given play that you weren't punished for the gap that was there. Here's, and people come out of that and they're like, oh, you're saying the Browns are the luckiest defense of all time? No. I mean, those are not the same things. What are you yeah. listening to? Some people said that. And look, I just got criticized recently for responding to the people too much this <laughs> to, year. To I have been. I have been yeah. responding to stuff too Elon, much this year. Elon sucked you back in. Sucked back in. Um, but a lot of the Browns fans' feedback was more on like the touchy-feely side. And I actually kind of could agree with that. The touchy-feely side being uh, Purdy got got hit hard early in the game, and that threw him off. He was seeing ghosts. He was uncomfortable because of – there's something to that. I agree there's something to that that might actually not show up in the grades, right? But you can't put a grade on – we're not going to put a grade on, well, Purdy you know, got hit in the third play, therefore, you know, of course he's going to miss throws. Give, give all the positives to the Browns. There were still plays in there that he normally hits that he missed. And that was the point we were trying to make yesterday. So Yeah. Um, Brown's defense still very good. Yeah, and, and by the way, I mean, they could make absolute hay this week. Like, look what happened to Gardner Minshew last week. Now he's going up against a much better defense that just turned Brock Purdy into a pumpkin, albeit with the benefit of some of those quote-unquote lucky plays and, you know, weather and stuff. Like, dude, this could be a bloodbath against Gardner Minshew. Steve is a man of the people. Oh, Tyler's in there. He's upset. Tyler's in there saying Sam and Steve with brown slander. He doesn't like that. Look, if you're not in the booth, you don't get the comment in the chat. Sure he does. It's good for the algorithm. <laughs> Keep chatting, Tyler. Could you spam the chat, please, Tyler, for the algorithm? Could you do it? Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Uh, Browns by two and a half. Yeah, Minshew has not been good as a starter. Another guy that's tough to figure out because... Except that first six weeks of his career. Yeah. As except that for six weeks, he's got the he's on the Mac Jones arc. Yes, which is here. The best thing you ever see is right out of the gate, and then like that makes no <laughs> sense. Um, so yeah, I think Minshew might struggle a little bit against this Browns defense. But again, I don't I don't trust PJ Walker as the starter for the Browns. They don't necessarily have the same run game that they did, obviously, with Nick Chubb. Um, I'll still take the Browns to cover here, though, because of their defense, because of yeah what they have done from a pass rush standpoint, and the fact that they're playing tight man coverage and making life difficult for QBs. Yeah, I mean, the point we were making is how good that defense is generally does not necessarily impact how it graded in a specific game, but it does impact what it's likely to do going forward. So it is one of the best defenses in the NFL. And going up against Gardner Minshew, who was just blindly throwing the ball to opposing players last week against the worst defense, now, I doubt Minshew plays that badly simply because that was like an all-time low. But, I mean, this is the kind of defense that can cause major problems for him. All right, let's get to the 4 o'clock games. Arizona Cardinals at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks favored by 7.5 here against the Cardinals. Mm. I mean, my narrative on Arizona is the same every week. Like, they're probably going to lose, but they'll make it difficult. Yeah. And I'm, I'm starting to lose – a little bit of that confidence as well. Kyler Murray getting act, not activated. What he's in the window, the designated for return thing. Yeah, because he's got three weeks basically to get back. I'm wondering if they want to do that. Well, evidently they do because they <coughs> just put him in that window, right? Yeah, I'm just wondering if you want to really rush him back and 
steal a few wins and I mean that might not be I mean is that rushing him back in this world of like Rodgers wants to come back for the playoffs from an Achilles not rushing him back but do you really want Kyler Murray to play six to eight games or whatever it might be and you win three or four of them potentially well they're in a tough spot where Kyler Murray playing doesn't do them a lot of good because they want the draft picks right but that's what I'm saying but getting an evaluation on Kyler Murray is actually important and becomes more important the higher the draft pick is. So, because it's a completely new regime, remember? Like, the group that's there now is not the group that committed to Kyler Murray. Uh, ostensibly, they don't know what they have in this that's guy. New system. It's right. first time outside of the air raid. Exactly. So, they desperately need uh, information on what Kyler Murray is as a quarterback. And remember, this is a guy that, like, who knows how much of this is real or not, but... The homework clause in the contract, the Call of Duty stuff, like we, you know, there's, there's at least information swirling about is he actually the leader that you want as your franchise quarterback, yada, 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 right? And it might be 100% fictional bullshit, but it's something they need to figure out themselves, right? Actually identify if he's the quarterback, because you might be putting yourself in a position where you have a draft pick for Drake May or even a Caleb Williams if Drake May becomes the number one guy. like, And you don't know right now whether or not that's a better option than Kyler Murray. Some people have Drake May, number one. That's what I'm saying. Mike Renner. Mike Renner has it. Renner. Really? I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm giving anything away from his podcast or whatever, but we ranked QBs yesterday on his show. And Renner has Drake May, number one. Drake May, number one. Not, not by a wide margin, slim margin. He's got a 1A and a 1B. But he's got Drake May, number one. I think we'll hear more of that, especially if Caleb Williams keeps dropping his eyes against pressure for the rest of the season. Um, but right. Seattle, we always joke about Seattle kind of like playing down to their competition. And, you know, as a seven and a half point favorite, not always great. But um, I like Seattle in this game. I think Arizona's going to, I think they're slowly morphing back into what we thought they were at the beginning of the season, which was, um, you know, a bottom. Bad. <laughs> they were supposed to be the worst team in the NFL. I'm trying to say it nicely. No, you don't Three need to say it nicely. Looking. They were bad, theoretically, on paper. Um, Seattle's receivers, there's just too much of an advantage there against this Cardinal secondary with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. I still want to see Jackson Smith and Jigba get going and what they could figure out there. Devin Witherspoon looks like a defensive rookie of the year candidate really for does. Seattle. It's completely irrelevant since they changed you know, the regime, but which is the rock, paper, scissors way that this division works? Who does Arizona always cause problems for? Is it Seattle? That's what I'm wondering. I thought I didn't know Arizona was in that mix. That changes I everything. thought it was no, just... No, they, they have a good record against somebody. Like, it's literally every team in that division yeah. has a weirdly That's specific the, record against the other ones. The Cardinals, when they weren't even good, were taking uh-huh. an awesome Seattle team. Remember they had, like, the 6-6 game in overtime? Yeah. So even though everybody relevant to that is now not playing for them or coaching for them or general managing You're them, gonna play I'm going to go with Arizona to cover. I'll take Seattle. Um by the way, we talked earlier. You got to do ARZ, please, not AZ. No, I don't. Every week, every week, I correct you. That's because you're using the wrong thing. It's not AZ. No it one else is. uses AZ. Everybody uses. I mean, Arizona's—that's that. the state abbreviation, but not the team abbreviation. Everybody uses that. The only people that don't are the dumb NFL thing that have weird things that we rail against, like H- Phoenix. HST. Make them Phoenix. PHO. I isn't it a PHX? Oh, PHX. Yeah, maybe. No, that's the airport. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Um, by the way, really quick, Geno Smith is having a different type of season. Remember last year it felt top-heavy, a few 90s. This yeah. year it's like consistent in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But um, 
again, those red zone turnover-worthy plays. Got to cut down on those, Gino. All right, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers at the Los Angeles Rams. Rams favored by three against the Steelers. A little 405, a little fun little matchup here at 405. Steelers. Let me read Matthew Stafford's stats because I was shocked at this. He's leading the league in big-time throws. Yeah, this makes no sense whatsoever. What are Stafford's By four, by the way. He's four clear of anybody else. Tua, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen is two behind that. But Stafford has four more big-time throws than anybody else in the this NFL. Is, this is insane. So he's got an 84.5 PFF grade. That is uh, sixth in the league, Stafford. Mm-hmm. But he has a passer rating of 83.5, which ranks probably 18th or 20th or whatever it might be. Let's see. 23rd in passer rating. Yikes. Only six touchdowns. I threw a beautiful pass to Puka the other day, remember? Mm-hmm. Puka dropped it, so that didn't count as a touchdown because he dropped it. Only six touchdowns and five picks for Stafford. And as you mentioned, 18 big-time throws to lead the league, 7.6% big-time throw percentage. Also highest in the league. Which is probably, yeah, almost uh, one percentage higher than anyone else in the league. Stafford's balling out. But it's just all he's had is Puka for most of the year and now Puka in cup, and it's just it's not showing up in the stats. I honestly didn't realize his stats were that bad relative to the rest of the league. Yeah, I just assumed that he had a bunch of touchdowns. <laughs> it turns out he doesn't. Yeah, crazy. So what else you got on this game? Second in the league for a big-time throw rate, by the way, being Tua, as opposed to his, you know, every throw is two yards, Stephen A. Smith. You're saying Tua's second in something? Yeah. Get ready. They're coming after you. Tua non. Tua non is going to jump on that. I tried to brave the waters Can't the other day Can't and i it. just said i just typed in to a tongue of iloa discuss and just let the people discuss i just muted most of miami over the course of those two days where they were hating on justin herbert randomly we need like, to do a history a of who you muted year over year so 2018 i did was, that for a while i was yeah. remember i, I kept but it was like one per year of which fan base did we piss off the most? Yeah. 2018 was the Bears. But I kept like a tracker of fan bases that I pissed off over let's, a season. Let's stay focused. The Steelers is an annual thing, but the Steelers in 2020 when they were 11-0 and and we were like, this is the worst 11-0 team in history. This is the worst 7-4 and team in history and they're 11-0 and and then they lost their next five. Anyway, it's the Steelers. They're 3-2. and You can't figure out how they've even gotten there, but they do, you know, T.J. Watt closes games down mm-hmm. and we've broken down the Rams – Pass blocking, they've had two or three games in the 20s from a pass blocking standpoint. If T.J. Watt and company can get the Rams pass blocking to, you know, grade in the 20s again, that's how you beat the Rams. T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith teeing off on those Rams offensive tackles is a pretty big mismatch in their favor. Um, You know, Watt, obviously, we've talked about him a lot. He's extremely good. He's uh, especially good at those kind of closing plays, the impact plays, sacks, forced fumbles. Um, he said, I think, recently that he would rather have, like, one sack than, I forget what the number was, but, like, a ton of pressures. He's like, I'd rather have the one sack. And he plays like that. Like, he wants the finishing play. He wants to end the, the play and the game when he can. But then the other side, like, Alex Highsmith has developed into this really good elite pass rusher in his own right. He's got that really nice combination like, he's not Dwight Freeney, right? But he has the same combination of, remember, Freeney would be really good around the edge for speed with that kind of ghost move 
And then just when you're starting to overset the deal with that, he would hit you with that inside spin that was unstoppable. His spin was so good. I yeah. mean, Freeney's, of course, but Highsmith has had a good spin since college. And that's what I'm saying. Highsmith is now, that's his two moves, right? He's got this really nice ghost move for speed around the edge. And then as soon as you start thinking about that and oversetting for it, he's going to hit you with that spin, which is one of the best spins in the NFL. And that's his, that's his two, you know, combination counter. Um, and he has, like, he's only got four fewer pressures than T.J. Watt on the season with 19 fewer pass rushes, even if he's only got the two sacks. And both those sacks, by the way, have been strip sack, forced fumbles. Yeah. Like, he's got that T.J. Watt end of it. he hit it right to T.J. Watt. Right, the T.J. Watt end of it of if he's going to make a play, it's going to be a big one. So those two going up against that Rams offensive line should be potentially game-changing. The whole sack versus pressure thing is a, it's a whole different conversation or whatever, but there's a difference between what you like the result and then doing like how you get to the result yeah we don't have time for that now we don't don't. even don't even do it you're right thank you for cutting that off Mm -hmm. uh kenny pickett has a similar stat line as matthew stafford not i mean it's not as good but he's only got four big time throws but he's clutch right he's clutch yeah oh man pickett's not playing that great the matt canada question i mean i think pittsburgh just needs all their playmakers to step up, right? They need Darnell Washington to step up. They need people to step up from a playmaking <laughs> yeah. standpoint. The problem with their offense is it actually requires the players within it to overcome the scheme. Like, the scheme isn't going to get it done. In fact, the scheme is kind of dragging you down. Now you need a playmaker to just go nuts and make an independent play outside of whatever is happening and just take over. And that's a really difficult thing to ask on a weekly basis in the NFL. Um, Deontay Johnson was a full participant in practice. He's been on injured reserve. Could I mean, he's been good. He's a good player at receiver for, for the Steelers. He's a good possession-type receiver, 10 yards per catch type of guy. Couldn't find the end zone last year at a historic rate, but it looks like he might be back. And that adds, again, it just it just solidifies roles a little bit more. He can be your possession guy. George Pickens, you still have to – Last time we saw the Steelers, they were chucking it down the field to him, and he was making plays for the first time all year. So the potential's there, um, but the Steelers haven't put together a full game offensively. They've had spurts offensively. Uh, They need to figure it out, though. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the best rookies this year has been Byron Young for the Rams. I think he's just such a perfect match with Aaron Donald. He's got that. Remember when Dante Fowler had a huge year because he's just – He's the perfect player to sort of get all those cleanup pressures from Aaron Donald. Donald is back to basically being Aaron Donald, a 90-plus pass rushing grade, 30 pressures this season. Byron Young is 25. Um, and a lot of those are like cleanup plays where he's just – he's got that – So fast. So Spurs. twitchy, explosive through the roof, can close on a quarterback if he's got space. And he's got a high motor as well. Like he, he wants it. So he's going to chase those plays where Donald creates havoc – and the two of them in combo, I think, are a really nice connection. Oh, man, I'm torn on this one here. Rams by three. I'm going to go Pittsburgh because that edge-rushing duo just feels like good enough to completely wreck the Rams' offense. Yeah. I'm going to take L.A. because now that I've discovered Matthew Stafford's stats, there's yeah. no way they could stay that bad. Okay. And they're not going to cover Coop and P- uh, Cup and Puka. Coop and Puka? <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. Yeah. yeah. Cup. And Puka Nakua. Gotcha. How's that? Yeah. Uh, Green Bay Packers at the Denver Broncos. 1997 Super Bowl. We got Favre versus Elway. Elway Copter. If only it was. It's Jordan Love and old man Russell Wilson. 
Mm. Uh, Packers favored by one here. Packers coming off their bye. They're two and three. Disappointing. Was it Monday Night Football against the Raiders last time we saw them? Uh, Packers started the season two and one, and they went from, hey, you know, Jordan loves doing some things. He's missing too many throws, but there's something there in the young receiving core, and I think uh, Love's lost a little bit of that luster the last couple weeks. Russell Wilson, another fascinating stat line. You know, Russ is, where is he? Seventh in the league with a passer rating of 99. And he's got 12 touchdowns. He didn't get 12 touchdowns till week 18 or something last year. More touchdowns than bedrooms. Yep, 12 touchdowns, four picks. The stats are good for Russell Wilson. PFF grade of 72, though, has him more. Middle of the pack, tied for 17th. What are you looking for in this one? This is fascinating because Green Bay's offense struggles uh, because every group within it is making just enough mistakes to keep it like bogged in the mire, right? And collectively, they're, they're sort of timing them for, the, for different times so that when <laughs> if the offensive line holds up, the quarterback is missing a throw. If the quarterback hits his throw, the receiver drops it. If the receivers and the quarterback do well, the, the offensive line craps itself and there's pressure on the play. Like the, the miss, um, was this the Ra- – yeah, the, the Raiders game, the final interception to seal it. Like, perfect example. Like, Christian Watson is open. Right, he's open to the point where Matt Lafleur on the sideline, like jumping up and down, like woohoo, we've got it! Like we hit it. him, hit him! Yeah. And right at the moment, Jordan Love wants to throw that ball. The offensive line collapses and hemorrhages pressure, and he's got to start moving. And then by the time he gets out of the pressure and looks up again, it's too late to throw the ball. And then he underthrows it, and it's picked off by a guy that's like five foot four, as opposed to the six foot five receiver. So. This is their offense at the moment. It's just collectively it's all making mistakes and they're not good enough to overcome those. Flip side of that is Denver's defense is atrocious. <laughs> so are they so bad that it actually allows them to execute well enough that the mistakes they make collectively don't matter anymore? That, I think, is a really interesting thing to watch. I'm just going to read the stat and you guys can figure it out. But I looked up, uh, you know, look, Love has been, his accuracy, 10-plus yards, 20-plus yards, mostly down the field. None of the stats look good. No. Um, but I, I want to know, in this game where Denver, their linebackers have had some issues, they've just, there's just been a lot of open throws against Denver. And that's why their stats are so bad. Worst EPA per play allowed by a mile. Yeah, a mile. Um, on just open throws, the uncatchable percentage for quarterbacks on open throws Worst in the league right now. It's Ryan Tannehill, then Justin Fields, then Brock Purdy, actually just throwing uncatchable passes. Jordan Love, number four, and C.J. Stroud, number five. Baker Mayfield, number six. Brock you know, Mayfield, you kind of felt it last week. Yeah. Um, Purdy, I think it was probably the Cleveland game hurt quite a bit last week. He had a bunch of those that we highlighted yesterday. But Jordan Love being number three, I think we. I'm feeling that, right? Early – in the season when he had six touchdowns and no picks, and we're like, yeah, he's not playing as well as that because of, you know, it's a tap pass and it's the receivers doing the work. And that kind of balanced out over these last few weeks. So um, I think back to the basics for the Packers, Love just has to hit the stuff that's there, right? Yeah. As you mentioned, there's always something going wrong on a play, it seems, for the Packers, and but there are opportunities to, to improve. Yeah, Denver's defense, worst EPA per play, as you said, by a mile. Um, they're giving up 6.2 yards per play, which is a yard lot more than the league average. They're giving up the most touchdown uh, on a, a per-drive basis of any team in the NFL by a few percentage points. Um, 
they're they're the worst defense in the league by a fairly significant margin. Um, and I do think that that's enough for this Packers team to try and like they'll be more efficient because the defense is worse. Yeah. So the question is, is it efficient enough that they can sort of keep rolling and overcome the mistakes that they probably will continue to make? The other element of so they're young players. I think the lack of experience is the source of most of those mistakes, but they're also not personnel-wise what they either were supposed to be or what they were at the start of the season. I mean, David Bakhtiari not being there is a huge blow to that offensive line. He's still as good as any pass-blocking left tackle in football. And when he's not there, Rasheed Walker isn't. Now, Rasheed Walker's not a bad player, but he's not David Bakhtiari. And that's, again, that difference is enough. It's a few plays here or there, and those few plays, if they're timed correctly, cause negative results. So yeah. I... It's, it's not quite as extreme as like the very resistible force versus the very movable object, but it's in that realm. The other thing to highlight quickly about Denver too, I don't think our rolled up team grades are the best thing to use overall, like team defense or team offense. They're not the best thing. I think EPA per play is a much better holistic view of how the team is doing. And if there's a disconnect there, oftentimes it's something the grades can't capture. Like the Broncos grades themselves for the players. It's not like they're all grading in the red. Like it's not all terrible, but the sum of the parts is just not there right now. Yeah. And I do believe they're at such an historic pace that it has to get better. They're not as bad as they're showing. So one of these days, the Broncos defense is going to look better and better. They only give up 19 to the Chiefs. There's reasons for that. The Chiefs decided to just, you know, run CFL plays on third and short nonstop. But, um, <laughs> There's a world where the Broncos start to play a little bit better. Yeah. But I mean, some of their parts right now has been horrible. I also, Tackling and coverage and run defense has been bad. I like that I think they've sort of realized where they are, and they're just like throwing all the young guys out there now, right? Yeah. Like they've gotten rid of guys like Randy Gregory. Um, you know, that they've changed Frank Clark, right? They basically said, look, forget it. Veterans aren't going to do us any good. Let's throw out Nick Benito, Jonathan Cooper, Baron Browning's coming back. Like, let that's going to be our pass rush, and let's see which one of these guys can be a force in the future. So, I think that's good for them. Like, let's flood the defense with young, active, you know, players that are playing with hustle. And even if they're not as good, or even if they're not any good, God, at least you're playing with some energy again. All right, I'll take. I'm going to take Denver to cover. At home. They're getting one. I didn't even say the spread earlier. Packers by one on the road. I'll take Elway in Denver. Elway. I'm taking Green Bay. I'm not taking Favre because the man apparently steals from the poor. Um, Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, But, you know. Now you're going to get sued. I said allegedly. He had to drop the suit against McAfee. Okay. Okay. So you're good. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know what? Ray Lewis is after me. Brett Favre is after you. It's like. He allegedly. Thank you. Uh, you know, so not not can't put my can't saddle my wagon to that. That being said, I'm taking Green Bay. Two more games to get through here: Los Angeles Chargers at the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs favored by five and a half. Chargers coming off the, another heartbreaker. I mean, the Chargers are going to lose by three, right? It's <laughs> just what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, that was a terrible game by Justin Herbert against, and yeah. um, that like, and it wasn't even. It wasn't even the sort of lack of, you know, incredible big throws. It was like you schemed up Couple wide open. open throws. Oh, yeah. Some open throws you missed. Wide open double or double moves. You missed them twice. Yeah. Can't do that. Can't do that. That's 
criminal. I mean, that's the kind of play where if that was Jordan Love, we would be saying this is why he can't be a good quarterback. Now, we know Justin Herbert can be a good quarterback, but he left those two on the table in a game where that would have been the difference. Everybody's going to miss. I mean, we when, when, the, when the Jags beat the Chargers in that big comeback, Herbert airmailed an open touchdown, and it, it would have put him up by like 30. Right. And it, and it wasn't the reason why the Chargers lost, but it's like, all right, those are the types of things you, you have to hit. And you certainly, I mean, whatever about, everyone misses a throw, right? Like yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo missed the one in the Super Bowl. Now you can argue that missing them at the key moment is actually the difference between, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo and Patrick Mahomes or whatever. But the point is, everyone misses those throws. You can't miss two of them. Like, you got to at least be 50-50 on those in a game. If you manage to dial up two coverage bus wide open double move plays down the field, you can't go 0 for 2. You just cannot. And he did. So I kind of assume that you're not going to get that version of Justin Herbert two weeks in a row. The funny thing about the game flow on Monday night, at first, both teams were 7-7, seven to seven, right, early in the first quarter. It's like, all right, this is going to be a shootout. Yeah. We've got Kellen Moore's best, and we got Dak and the Cowboys. It's going to be awesome. And then it just scoring slowed down. On script, it looked great for the Chargers. I, I just think the more you see this offense with Mike Williams hurt now and Quentin Johnston, the rookie, you didn't love Johnston uh, as a prospect. He's big fast it feels like he's uh kind of like when dk metcalf came in is he a slant go slants and goes stick with that but even then the ball skills aren't great but you know you you might sneak a few big plays in there you're just not getting anything it just feels very fragile and it's just keenan allen and keenan allen i think is a fantastic football player and he can be a big play threat he would have been a big play threat because he ran a good double move and it was it was overthrown but he's still a He's your uber, you know, possession guy. He's your high-volume possession guy. And it just feels fragile. I mean, Austin Eckler running the ball pretty well, but there's just a disconnect in this offense right now for the Chargers. No, there is. Like, that, it's not where it needs to be. I'm most disappointed in the Quentin Johnson thing because I don't feel that they're setting him up to succeed particularly. Like, I, I think it's difficult to create an offense where every receiver is flawed and you need to put each one of them, like, in a specific role. So that, it, so that they can be good, right? But I think you can do that with one guy, and they only need to do it with one guy. The other ones, I think, can play their role fine. Just let Quentin Johnson do what he's good at, and they're not really. They're plugging him in and expecting him to be Mike Williams, basically, and that, that's not going to work. So I think I'm kind of disappointed that they haven't bent things more to fit what he does well. And now you're going up against a Chief, Chiefs defense. They're number three EPA per play per, uh, allowed against the pass, and it looks like the best defense Patrick Mahomes has had by far, or at least they're playing like that. Uh, Charles Amenehu should be coming back too, right, mm-hmm. to add a little depth on the defensive line coming off of his suspension. Chiefs are looking really good on the defensive side of the ball. Offense certainly has their questions. I was looking it up um, today. Patrick Mahomes um, just using pass. I know passer rating is not the best stat, but just painting a picture here. Passer rating of 118 against man. Don't shake your head at me. You asshole only because you know it doesn't matter about sacks we're talking about the the passes here 118 against man only an 83 passer rating against zone and that's what the chargers are going to play however that to me that's but mahomes grade is similar the pff grade is similar versus man or zone so that's telling me you know we talk about the disconnect with the uh, receiving core right now it's not that they can't get open against man or whatever it is. It's really just the nuanced parts of the position. Being in the right place at the right time, 
scramble drill with Mahomes, a lot of those things that, again, Travis Kelsey does like in his sleep, you don't have enough of that from the rest of the Chiefs receiving core. I think that's where they're lacking. I don't think they're lacking talent. Your guy Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, they've got talent there. They just traded for McCall Hardman. I think it's really just the being on the same page with Mahomes. And, and I don't know, that might actually be encouraging for the Chiefs that you know more Rasheed Rice as the year goes on, maybe they make another move. There's still opportunities to grow for this this passing attack. So quietly, the Chargers' run defense has actually gotten fixed this year. Like the thing that had been crippling them for the last yeah. couple of seasons where they've been the worst run defense in the NFL. It's actually above average this year in terms of just yards per attempt. Um, At the expense of yeah. their passing attack. <laughs> that's the thing. Whilst that's happened, Joey Bosa has stopped playing good football. Um, and Khalil Mack kind of only showed up against the Raiders that one time. Like, they don't have the pass rush, and they don't have anybody playing particularly well in coverage. The player, number three, whose name must not be mentioned thus or for fear of jinxing him with injuries. Number three on the Chargers is disappointing this year. Yeah. He's having his worst season of, you know, any career since ever, of his entire life. Yeah. He certainly didn't play this bad in high school or at Florida State. No. Or early in his NFL career. It's so you've got a couple of players performing well over the, the, the season, but generally not many, and certainly not when it comes to stopping the pass. So like they've kind of fixed – I don't think they're doing it like – it's not a consequence of that. Like I don't think they've decided, hey, we need to shut down the run at the expense of everything else, forget playing the pass, just focus on the run game. I don't think that's what they've done, like a conscious thing. But I think weirdly – they fixed the area that was problematic, and now the other area has fallen to pieces. Um, the Chiefs did not, you know, again, the Broncos, we mentioned, have by far the worst EPA per play allowed. It wasn't like the Chiefs tore them apart, as we guessed. Um, they were very they were very weird in third and fourth down on you know, short yardage and everything. So there's a lot of times the Chiefs just trick plays just didn't work. But they should have some opportunities, I think, against this Chargers defense. Anytime the player goes up against Travis Kelsey... I think that's a, always a, a great matchup. Only and, if it's uh, actually a matchup. Like, you know, put them on them. If it is. And I think, I mean, I think the Chargers should play that game. Because honestly, uh, Kelsey has an 83 grade. Everyone else, Rasheed Rice has an 81. Everyone else is 50s and 60s for the Chiefs pass catchers. There is a world where if you could somehow slow down Kelsey, right, or take him out of the game and make Mahomes rely on all the other young guys or you know guys where they're just not on the same page as much there is a world where maybe you could slow them down but i think we sort of the last kansas city game remember when it was like how can you not stop kelsey at this point he is the offense in a weird way like i think you still making kansas city play like that is still the best thing that you can do as a defense it's like yes they will pick up six yards every play if they just play Mahomes to Kelsey, you know, option routes, let him go wherever the space is. They will do that. But that's probably still better than, like, putting three guys on Kelsey and then somebody else is wide open one-on-one for a 50-yard gain. Yeah. Now, the person that's wide open might be Sky Moore or some other receiver that you don't have a ton of confidence in actually making the play. But I think it's still it, – it seems dumb when you're getting – killed by a thousand paper cuts but I still think the thousand paper cuts is the correct approach against this Kansas City offense so I don't know that you will see teams going out of their way to stop that connection working do you want to take a step I'm going to use passer rating again wow the nerds must hate they're going to be so mad at me but 
Do you want to take a stab at Patrick Mahomes' passer rating on 20-plus yard throws this year? 84. 41.8. Yikes. And the guy that he's hit the most, he's got three picks. No touchdowns, three picks. Eight for 23. And the guy he's hit the most is Justin Watson, who just got hurt. Mm. And Watson's been this, you know, he's not a great every-down receiver. He's got some good speed. He gets behind the defense. Hasn't hit Marcos Valdez-Scantling with a ton of um, deep passes like he did last year. So just something to keep an eye on. Do you start to, you know, make him – like Mahomes still has those in him, but is it actually reversing course now where it used to be, yeah, yeah, play too high, be afraid of the deep ball. And it's actually like, you know what, make them – make him do that. Because when he's thrown, I, I think I would. When he's thrown the ball deep this year, yep. there's some underthrows. He's not seeing safeties all the time. He's, he's had two passes negate, two interceptions negated where he's just thrown it up to safeties. No, that's what I'm saying. I, I, might, I might challenge these Chiefs receivers. The I'm, problem with playing man, though, is Mahomes is a scrambler. Top rushing grade in the NFL, and he's got that feel, and he knows how to get just enough. Yeah, that's and he understands, you know, DB leverage, he understands back shoulder throws, like he understands where to put the ball so that your man coverage gets negated. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I still think the best thing to do is what teams are doing to them at the moment. It's just that you look kind of silly when you're getting beaten by this like rabbit punch over and over again. It's, yeah, but that's still better than the bomb that they're going to hit if you try and take that away. All right, Chargers uh, getting five and a half here against the Chiefs. Chiefs favored by five and a half. That's the other way of saying it. Yeah. Um, even despite the Monday night disappointment for the Chargers, I, I think this is their year to at least beat the Chiefs once. So I think they'll keep it within the five and a half, maybe even pull off the upset uh, because Kansas City's offense has shown you know, some, some weakness this year mm. compared to last year where they were pretty much start to finish legit. Yeah, so it's not been particularly good. Take the Chargers to, uh, to cover this. No, I'm taking Kansas City. And Niners and Vikings. Monday Night Football. Niners favored by seven at Minnesota. Kirk Cousins and Kyle Shanahan. Primetime Cousins. A seven-point underdog. Just ready to tear it up. What do you think? I mean... Kirk against the guy that wanted to trade for him. Yeah. He didn't want... Uh, what's his face? Jimmy G. Lance, Trey Lance. Oh, Lance. He didn't want Trey Lance. He really wanted Kirk Cousins. I still Cousins. don't know how much that's true. I don't know. There's a lot of rumors coming out of there. Yeah. Uh, Brock I mean, Purdy coming off his worst game as a pro, as we know. This is one it of the— It will not rain in the dome, though. It won't. It won't be a weather issue. Almost certainly. Um, this is one of the like biggest underdog lines that Minnesota has had in years being at home. Like, they don't—they're very rarely— this heavy an underdog and certainly not at home um but i mean the 49ers are a way better team now the vikings i don't think are as, as bad a team as their record has shown on the other hand the majority of that was with justin jefferson in the lineup they're different when they don't have him there so oh yeah that's that's gonna affect my pick it is hard to see how this vikings team can in any way keep pace with a 49ers team that should have success now Countering that, you have the Vikings defense that, although it's not good, is at least psychotically aggressive and will pitch everything at you to try and dis, you know, cause you to make some mistakes. Now, if they can, the, the, the advantage of that type of defense is it's high variance, right? And sometimes that's going to go your way, and sometimes it's very not. I don't know which way this, would, this way will go, but generally you look at the personnel and you're like, this is San Francisco's easily. 
We saw Brock Purdy against the other psychotically aggressive defense back in week three, whatever it was. Week two, week three against the Giants. That was how you phrased it? Yeah. Psychotically aggressive? Mm-hmm. And uh, Purdy statistically, you know, tore up the Giants. Right. Right. Now, the, I mean, a couple of those were screens on third and long, whatever it might be. But the, the Niners as a whole with Purdy at the helm handled the blitz pretty well. And Purdy did a really nice job in that game just getting the ball out quick, having answers. That's what we're probably going to see here against every single week. How does the team facing the Vikings handle the blitz? The 49ers seem pretty well equipped to do it. Right. Now, uh, Cleveland is very aggressive as well, albeit in a different way. And obviously that didn't go well for San Francisco last week. Now, all the extra variables that we talked about. But its I, I don't think you can just use the Giants game as evidence that they will carve them up. The other element, by the way, is... Uh, Christian McCaffrey was hurt last week. Oblique injury. We don't know if he's going to play or not. Um, It's still up in the air. If he doesn't, there are some fairly strong on-off splits with Christian McCaffrey and this 49ers offense, right? Like, his arrival was a pretty important element of this offense going to an untouchable level. He matters. Well, maybe. And when when he left the game last week, the offense stopped, right? It stalled. Now... Debo also left. Trent Williams also left. Like, it wasn't just him. And this is the world of football. There's never a clean on-off. There's always an extra confounding factor. But if Christian McCaffrey doesn't play this week, I do think that that changes their offense, particularly if Debo is also not in the lineup. And now you're down to, quote-unquote, only, you know, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, and, and other weapons. But this is as depleted an offense as you're likely to see from San Francisco's point of view for the Vikings. It is. Uh, I don't know how to read the report necessarily because they said it shouldn't be long-term for any of those big names, Christian McCaffrey, Trent right. Williams, or even Debo Samuel, but it could be enough for this game, right? Yes. It, you know, McCaffrey could be available per Schefter uh, for Monday Night Football. Trent Williams day-to-day with the high ankle or avoided a high ankle sprain. He's day-to-day. Right. So, yeah, there's definitely something to keep an eye on there for Sam. My read on it would be Trent Williams plays, uh, Debo doesn't, and McCaffrey is a coin toss. I think McCaffrey will play. I don't know. I mean, if they're down, yeah, my point doctor, being, though. my point doctor, being, yeah. if they're down McCaffrey and Debo, that's a pretty big, like, that's as yeah. good a break as you're going to get against this offense. And as great as Brandon Ayuk has been, that's been as part of this whole, yeah. right? They're going to need more from, they haven't had a massive George Kittle game this year. Right. And so it's more Kittle and uh, Brandon Ayuk, I think, regardless of um, who's out there because of the McCaffrey injury. Um, the other hurdle, too, when Brock Purdy hit the ground running last year and was awesome, the hurdle I wanted to see him jump was, what happens when the game flow's not great, you're not crushing a team, and you got to make a little fourth-quarter comeback or whatever it might be? And he kind of passed those tests once or twice last year. Even last week, I don't think Purdy did a lot in the comeback attempt. It was really Ayuk uh, running through the defense. But Purdy, you know, they made a comeback. Got a field goal, game-winning field goal attempt. How does Brock Purdy bounce back from the worst game of his career? There's still those hurdles, right? This early in his career, how do you – how do you handle failure? How do you handle a loss? How do you bounce back? How do you, you know, after things did not go well for them last week? So those are questions I think we'll get some answers to on Monday Night Football. I think if Justin Jefferson's playing, though, to your point, Minnesota getting seven, they're the team that they, they're going to hang tough. They might not win, but they're going to keep it close. Uh, but I'm not sure. I think the, the offense is just 
too much of a challenge they, with Jordan Addison, K.J. Osborne, T.J. Hawkinson as the top guys. They still haven't played a game this year that was not a one-score game. So yeah. for the 49ers to cover this, this has to not be a one-score game, and that has yet to happen for Minnesota this year. Primetime Cousins. There's a lot against each other here. Primetime Cousins. Remember, you switched to – I've switched back and forth. I started Minnesota, <laughs> then I went to San Francisco. I see you're in Minnesota. I was going to go the 49ers, and then I was like, no, the Vikings don't play games that aren't I'm going Minnesota. Score. You're right. Minnesota is absolutely going to keep it within seven. Somehow. It will make no sense, but they will keep it to within a score. It will be a one-score game somehow in this – in this matchup. Oh, it's like almost, Minnesota is just hilarious because they're two and four. They're two and four in one score games after being eleven and zero last year, and all the other you know your football outsiders, DVOAs, and all that stuff. It's like they're the same team yeah. in the uh, advanced metrics. And they're better if if anything it's this the, year. It's the fumble. It's all the turnover luck, right. and everything's the other way. And but it also. It's also one of those things where it's like, well, last year they knew how to win because they had their veteran. Like they had Eric Kendricks. Stop. Knew how to win. Like that, but that's like what the story probably is somewhere. Right? Well, they have all these young guys who don't know how to win. But you, they probably they might be a better team this year than last year. I, I mean, I think see. yeah, they, they may have been in certain areas. I do, the the Justin Jefferson thing is huge. Like not having him completely changes everything. Absolutely. I mean, with him in the lineup, it might be a comparable team to last year. Without, I agree. without him there, it's very, very different. All right, I'll take Minnesota to cover the seven. You're right. Same. It makes no sense. Maybe I've soured on the Niners after one game. Knowing the weather, I'm a weather guy. The, they should be better in the dome. A lot working against each other here. Yeah, I mean, look, I, it makes no sense, but the Vikings will find a way to keep it close. Now, the fact that the 49ers, half the offense is injured, I think is a factor as well. I True. think that might help them. All right, man, that's it. That's all the games, I believe. Nice. Good work. Now, next week, no teams have buys. What? we got more work to do. There's two random weeks. Why? It's like week 7 and week 12 or something. There's just no buys. You usually have a bunch of buys, and then you then you have no buys the last two yeah. or three weeks or whatever. But there's a next week we have to work hard. I thought we had a break. Why? We have to work harder next week. There's more buys. Why? There's no buys. I don't know. Ask the uh, AWS algorithm. That's what's running the schedule these days? Do you watch any of the commercials? No. We... We ran the schedule a billion well, times through. Yeah, but I AWS. also know that a lot of those claims are not the truth. <laughs> I understand where some of the, the information comes from and yet is branded in another way. As former participants yeah. in AWS commercials. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We were a part of the AWS primetime commercial on Sunday night. So I'm saying there are things that take place in certain commercials that are not necessarily the whole written truth. We spent two days filming that commercial that showed for 30 seconds on Sunday Night Football. It was a great ad. Yeah. They're like, stand here and write on a whiteboard. Yeah. We'll film it. No, stand here and write on the window. We wrote on the window. That's right. Solly was Solly. going. Solly Dub, writing on the window. Right drawing plays up on the window. No, that's how we act in the office all the time. We <laughs> always draw plays on the window here at PFF. Always. There's a giant whiteboard right there, and yet I'm drawing on the windows. <laughs> that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. It was just I another mean, look, day. To their credit, it looked great. But it did see, you know, you would ask why that's happening. Just another day at the office at PFF. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. You'll be back tomorrow reviewing this uh, Saints-Jags Thursday night football game. With Bradley. With Brad. Yep. Um, again, send us those clips. Whatever you remember, send us the clips. NFL podcast at PFF.com. Your favorite moment, whatever we can, you know, send to the committee. Hit that thumbs up on the way out if you feel so inclined. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. 
I'll see you again on Monday reviewing all the, where are we? Week 7 NFL action.